Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Welcome, everybody. That's how I feel about one-minute updates. Um, and we are here at Living Chassidus, and we are so, so lucky. It's really a huge schos. We've been trying to organize with Ray Kaplan, and by amazing Ashkocha Pratis, he was able to actually finally make it to the U.S., and not only I that, in the US in a very short period of time. I've been in Grand Ives the whole time, but it's just very little to do with, the, with the US. Yes. <laughs> He's been in, in the Crown Heights section. Um, so I want to first of all thank to um, give a special thank you to Chaimashka K, to Shayna Bracha, and to Bracha Zirkind. And we are so, so lucky that they came and they helped set up. So thank you very, very much. I also want to make a huge thank you to our leadership team, who is incredible at making things in general happen. So thank you to them. And I want to um, make a special thank you to Rabbi Kaplan. He changed he changed his ticket to be here with us. So that is a huge schuss. I, which is funny because in the present that I got, there is actually a present for your wife. This is for your wife. When she lights Shabbos candles, she can put the tray, the candle oh, wow, beautiful. on the tray. So that is for her and another book for her. Yes. So please send her our ginormous thank you. And this is regards from Crown Heights. Thank you very much. And with that, um, Rabbi Kaplan is here. I know everybody already knows who he is. He's an incredible teacher. He actually forbringed for me once, changed my life. I spoke about it on the car right here. And... Swas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're amazing. And he was involved with my husband. And can, can, can I, can we, this is getting recorded, right? Yes, this is getting recorded. This to my wife? Yes, you can. <laughs> this is recorded just for her. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And not only is he an incredible teacher in the seminary in Yerushalayim, he also teaches for the Mayano Institute, which has made a huge impact on many, many guys that I've helped with Shadokim. Um, and he is also the father of my son's Rebbe. So his good education, his good chinuch is then educating my son. So thank you very much on behalf of our entire family. <laughs> and this Wait, can I just you. leave this here? I don't have to put it here, right? I feel like I'm on CBS or something. That means that means I have to lie. I want to tell the truth. I don't want to have to lie. There you go. Right? Yeah, okay, we'll do it like this. I've done this with these pros, you know. They're right. No, you do it like this. You need to do it like that. Something like that. I think that might you want to clip it maybe on the I didn't want to do, but okay. Yeah. There. there you go. Okay. Don't anybody look. Why is this here? Because people from there can't hear me? We you can. There you go. So we don't need this at this point. When the multitudes start coming in and they're, you know, they're looking in the window. So we'll have a, you know, we'll put a, a, a speaker outside. I think that we can do away with this one. L'chaim, l'chaim. It is an, uh, a pleasure, I must say, to uh, finally get this done. 
there was a lot of um, sometimes you find out that things are important because the Kaddish <coughs> excuse me, a Kaddish Baruch Hu makes it difficult for them to happen. The idea was actually to come to Kranites for Shavuos, but then um, a war broke out in Eretz Israel, and um, most flights were canceled. The flight I was on was canceled. It was actually the first one canceled. The flight that day went, and the flight that night did not go. So it was all uh, obviously preordained. And um, having not been here for a very long time, those of us who, who don't live here or don't live in America, Bechlal, so coming to Kran Heights has been extremely extremely difficult the last year, year and a half. Um, it was all, I mean, the only way to come here from Eretz Israel was if you were to, willing to take three weeks off work. Most of us can't do that. Um, I, I don't know anybody who, I, I know one person who did because he didn't really have to take time off work because he could work from home. And so he came for Gimel Tama's last year and then went home and spent two weeks in his house in what's called bidud, quarantine, which they're serious about in uh, Eretz Yisrael. Un I mean, they were, unlike here. I'd say I heard there is such, theoretically, mm -hmm. there's such a thing here, but I don't know whether it has any reality in Elamaza. But um, in Israel, they actually take it very seriously. Our son came in the middle of the year and, uh, and was in bidud. At one point, he was in our house. He got a phone call and... Uh, a policeman said, is this uh, Yosef Yitzhak Kaplan? He said, yes. Where are you? He said, I'm in my house. Okay. Can you go to the back porch, please? So he said, okay, go to the back porch. Do you see that Nayedit, that police car on the street? Could you wave to us, please? So he waved. The cop said, they really were checking up on everybody. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, but in all fairness, I, you know, rightly or wrongly, I have no idea. I have never, ever been responsible for dealing with the pandemic. I hope never to be anybody responsible for dealing with the pandemic, whether they did it the right way or the wrong way. Obviously, there's all sorts of people who said what they did with these lockdowns, all of was absolutely the wrong thing to do. There's other people who say, well, look at the numbers at work. But bottom line, and now in Eretz Israel, there's no such thing. Baruch Hashem. Everything's opened up. Everything's fine. People are walking around. And I think tomorrow, the, any vestige of a mask disappears completely inside, outside, nowhere. No masks. So uh, we're basically done. But one thing we had was school, which you also had here in Grand Heights. But the rest of America basically decided that children's education is not so important. Maybe what they're teaching them is better than that in school, but um, it's, not good. it's not so good for children. What that meant for most of us was the inability to come to, to come to the rabbit. That's what it meant for most of us. Just couldn't get here. It's just impossible. And so there's an old saying that I'm sure you all know. Rebbe Leishon Menayan. The Gemara asks, Rebbe, Rebbe Huda Nasi was Rebbe Chia's Rebbe. And Rebbe Chia makes a statement in the Gemara. And the Gemara says, Rebbe Leishon, that Rebbe didn't teach that. So where did he get that idea? What's the source of that halacha in Rabbi Chia? Because Rabbi didn't teach that way. That's the pshat in it. Chassidim have always understood that. Rabbi loishana. For a year I wasn't by the Rebbe. Chia minayin. Where does the chassid have his chayis? How is he alive? And we have uh, 
we all dealt with that for the last year and a half. Now I understand that since Gimel Tamas, people have we've been dealing with that in a certain way. But chas v'shalom, v'chas v'shalom, v'chas v'shalom, to think that we don't have a Rebbe, and to think that the Rebbe is not with us wherever we are. But there's no question that there are places where we go to the Rebbe. The Rebbe comes to us is with us wherever we are. We can talk about that in an amazing story I heard this uh, during this whole COVID thing. But that being said. Chassidim, we come to the Rebbe. So whatever that means now, and I, that's a, a, a personal choice that everybody has the right to make as to where they relate to as the place where they go to see the Rebbe. And um, if I can make a macha in public, don't let anybody tell you where you have to go to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe. That's not their business. If you think it's the women's section in 770, then go there. If you think it's the oil, so go there and don't let anybody else tell you what they think because it's irrelevant to you. Because we live in a difficult time where we have to have a certain hergish that we never had to have, a certain feeling, a certain sensitivity to things. And where that sensitivity is heightened is a very, very personal thing. And it's no one's business. It's just, you know, my own little, I'm, I'm what do they call it? Venting. I'm venting, so excuse my venting, but I'm venting. It's no one's business where you find the Rebbe. So some people, 770, that's where they go. Okay, that's fine. Some people go to the aisle, it's fine, good. No one has a monopoly on this. And um, it's difficult enough not seeing the Rebbe Bani Basa that someone has to tell you where you have to go. <laughs> you know. I don't like people telling me where to go. Sometimes they say, someone should tell that guy where to go, you know, but we don't, we don't. Uh... So, but we know one thing. For us in Eretz it means getting on a plane. That's what going to the river means. It means getting on a plane and coming to a place called Crown Heights. And either you go from there somewhere else, you know, that's it. but you go to the river. And we and I haven't been able to do that for a year and a half. The last time I was here was Kislev a year and a half ago. Mamish Bashkocha Pratis with incredible mazel. I just happened to be that my note was making a, a dinner, and the powers that be asked if I would fly in for the dinner and for bring after the dinner. <coughs> it was fantastic. We had a great for bringing with all sorts of alumni in some fancy hotel in Manhattan. Um, but it, 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 it was, say I was here for two days, but I was here. And since then, not. And honestly, I haven't basically, I mean, maybe you can see it on my face, see it in my eyes and hear it in my voice. I'm not sure. Maybe I just always look this decrepit. How would you know? But, but um, uh, it's been, a, it's been a four days without sleep, but that's what it means to come to the Reb. Why do you want to go sleep? Right? I mean, you can sleep at all. So last night I was yelled at at a friend because I left for bringing at 4.30 in the morning. I mean, it's 4.30 in the morning. I mean, why are you yelling at me that I'm not the say to that? You know, I, if I left at 1.30, I get it. Ah, you know, you need your beautiful. 4.30 in the morning, what? Where, I mean, he was very upset. <laughs> What's wrong with it? Now, he had just had a little sleep in the middle of the Fubrang. His head went down on his chest for about 45 minutes. I threw something at him. It didn't work. He was out like a light. So he had his little sleep in the middle. So maybe that's what gave him the... I, he might still be there. I'm not sure. I mean, I, when I went in this morning, he wasn't, but I, who knows? But um, and maybe he was sleeping under the table. That's what I remember. Mendel Futterfaust said his l'chaim, 
he got engaged to a nicely young lady, and there was a lachayim, and at the lachayim, Mendel ended up sleeping under the table. This was his introduction to his father-in-law and mother-in-law. He ended up sleeping, I mean, he drank a lot of lachayims, he ended up under the table, literally, out. And the, I wasn't there, might, but the word is that Mendel's father and said, oh, a good chassidah and he was very excited that this was... So um, don't tell you know any future chassonim to do that today, but that's what Rav Mendel did. So it's it's just a treat to be in 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 the Rebbe's shchuna. It really is to just hang out in seven seventy. It's just something that uh, on a certain level you can take it for granted, but don't take it for granted because it's uh, something that was taken away from a lot of us for a while. I know that seven seventy closed for a few months, uh, and that made a, it was was really quite difficult for everybody here in the neighborhood. That's certainly true. Uh, but I did hear people say, unfortunately, it, it, it wasn't it wasn't what we were hoping it was going to be. That some person said, "Okay, this, this, my son, actually, your your son's teacher said, well, 770 is closed. Maybe that means that the, that none of us should walk into 770 again until the Rebbe is there with us. We can see the Rebbe like we always did. But, you know. I don't, I, I don't forget anybody walk. I mean, I walked in myself. I don't forget anybody walking into 770. At least, you know, the, the, if at least we have that, that's what we have. But we want more. And we don't, we don't want to stay in this Golis. And I, I think, you know, it's Gimel, it's, it's Dalit Tamas. It's already almost Hey Tamas, Peseder. Dalit Tamas actually today is the yard side of Ramindal. Ramindal Futafas passed away. Dalit Tamas, Tafshin, Nun Hey. And, um, in London, so okay, today was with Mendel's yard site. But um, Kimmel Tammuz, I mean, what, what, what are we supposed to do on Kimmel Tammuz? Kimmel Tammuz, I think, Baruch Hashem, is no longer Tishabav. There was a time when it was Tishabav for people. Not everybody, but some people. And I think no one relates to Kimmel Tammuz as Tishabav anymore. I don't think that's because people don't feel something on Gimel Tamas. I think that's because people have come to the realization, all of us, that for whatever reason, Gimel Tamas is part of a process. And that process, even though we don't understand the, the exactly why the process has to, has to be the way it is, but that is what a Kodesh Baruch Hu wants. And, uh, and, and the, the process is a certain state of concealment before the ultimate revelation of Mashiach. And, and uh, that's the situation we're in now. And our job is to take the energy from that day and use it to, to, to challenge ourselves and, and bring about in ourselves a closer, more powerful connection to the Rebbe and ask ourselves very, very seriously, what can I do more I don't know whether that's proper English, but it's okay. What more can I do? I mean, that's the proper English, I know. But what can I do that is more involved in, in such that I'm more involved in, in bringing Mashiach? Now, that doesn't have to be something quantitative. It can be qualitative. I'm doing the same thing, just more, more qualitatively. Meaning I don't necessarily have to say more to Hillel. I don't have to say another chapter, but maybe I should say those to Hillel I say with a little more quality. I don't necessarily have to go on more mitzayim. Maybe I can just 
add in the quality of that of the, the mitzvahim in the mitzvahim that I do, or it can be quantitative. Other but I'm taking upon myself to you know adding in a in a seder and learning or or mitzvahim uh, or whatever it happens to be. Remember once in the sim talking about the fact, and it's a, it's a very reasonable thing to do, and it's something that we can all do, right? Make achlota to take three to five minutes of your week. Once a week, make a phone call to someone that you don't usually talk to and tell them that you were thinking of them, you love them, and you hope they're okay. If you got that phone call, how would you feel? Wow, that was so nice. That would make your day. Okay, so make a Jew's day once a week. Look in the, look in the, look in the, you know, your, I mean, the number of contacts in here is a little obscene, right? I mean, you, you know, when the, when, when, when they, you know, you're looking for someone, so like it's just no, it's just, you don't even know who these people are. I mean, they have these names. I mean, who are these people? Right? Okay. So there's enough people in here. So find some roommate from Sam that you haven't talked to for six months or six years and call them up and say, how are you? I was thinking of you. you. You don't want to get stuck in a 20 minute conversation, which is un understandable. Don't send one of those notes, right? <laughs> Voice notes, which are very useful if you don't want to get stuck in a 20 minute conversation. I understand that, but you don't want to do that. You want, you want to talk to them. So say, you know, I must have five minutes. I'm going into a meeting, but I just really, really wanted to say hello once a week. You can't find 50 people in the next year. Fine. Then you could call the same people again because you haven't talked to them for a year unless they called you in the middle and said, how you doing? <laughs> it's one of the simplest hachlatas to do in the world. All, all you did was make another Jew feel good. What gives the Rebbe more nachas than making another Jew feel good? It's not a big thing. It's not like deep and sophisticated and spiritual. It's just simple act of kindness. Which is what the Rebbe wants from us. If there's more, he wants us to do a lot. But simple acts of kindness are also part of it. And we can do it to people. It doesn't have to be painful. I mean, you really do like this person. And it would be very nice to talk to them. I mean, you, you, might, you might have half an hour and you're more than interested in talking for half an hour. But they also might not have half an hour. So take that into account also. And, and say, you know what, I'm, I have five minutes, how are you doing? And if they want to follow up and call you back later and you talked for half an hour, great, beautiful. But once a week, you can make another Jew happy. It can't be that that won't help Mashiach come. Can't be, right? And, and we, we mamish, you know, last night I, I told the story that, um, that, uh, um, Two years ago, Sholem Shapiro called me up and said, um, "Would you? Will you speak? It's two or three. Someone today said it was two. I don't know. I thought it was three, but it doesn't matter. It definitely wasn't one because I wasn't around. So uh, he called me up and said, um, the, Fabrengen, the, the main Fabrengen in 770, will you speak in English at the main Fabrengen in 770? So Sholem, what does that mean? You mean the part of the Fabrengen where someone's speaking in the microphone and no one's listening, that part? He said, yeah. He said, oh, I, I can do that. I have no problem speaking. I mean, if no one's listening, why be nervous, right? I mean, 
there's nothing to be nervous about if no one's listening to anything you're saying. It's a bunch of Lubavitchers talking on the floor. Every now and then, the, you know, the manchel will go, Hevra, and he'll say in Yiddish. And half the people, you know, he's saying in Yiddish because he's a Lubavitcher and he has to speak Yiddish because he's speaking in 770. Now, of course, three quarters of the people making noise on the floor is Rayleigh Bachrim who don't speak Yiddish, but that doesn't matter. I mean, we're not that. We just have to make the public announcement that you should be quiet. So, yeah, you know, everybody over 50 stops talking, but no one else. But, but, um, so last night I got the I had the pleasure of uh, speaking. I'm actually it is a pleasure. It's a, it's a special something special to speak in the Rebbe Shul. It really is. It's a, it's not the and there was I, I, more. They were making a lot more noise than me. So Baruch Hashem is exactly the same. It doesn't go to your head because no one's listening. So it's okay. But um, I just mentioned the story that I heard from Rabbi. It's not really a story. A mushal. It is whatever it is. You can decide what it is. Say there. You decide, and then you can write it down later and send it on a WhatsApp, what it was, and then I'll know next time. Um, is a yid. It's probably a story some of you have heard. A yid who was in a shear of chassidus by the Alter Rebbe. The Alter Rebbe is teaching the Indian of Enid Milvada. Now, the Alter Rebbe teaching Enid Milvada from Meshur Abenu saying it to Am Yisrael in Devarim in the year 2488, in the month of Shvat or the beginning of the month of Adar, I'm not sure exactly, you know, when exactly did Meshur Abenu say Enoid Milvadeh? So it's in Devarim, so that's somewhere from Rosh Chedesh Shvat to Zion Adar in the year 2488. Meshur Abenu said those words, Enoid Milvadeh, which are rather famous words. It's even become a bumper sticker, right? Or even better is the people who put it in the window in the back of their car, you know, with the individual letters, Ein Oid Mulvadoi. Okay. So from the time Meshur Abenu said it in the year 2488 until the Alta Rebbe was teaching it in Liadi, so until then, no one ever understood that idea like it was being taught by the Alta Rebbe in that rule. Okay. That doesn't mean people didn't understand it. I mean, there were great gedolim tzaddikim who understood it, but the, your average person wasn't being taught by anybody what Einoid Milvade means. Rabbi Akiva wasn't teaching too many people what Einoid Milvade means. It's not that we see, maybe privately, but nothing written that we have. And the Alter Rebbe was teaching Einoid Milvade in the Alpichsidis in a way that explains it in the deepest way imaginable. Miss Chosid walked out of that sheer Ein Oid Milvade. Right? Now that does really mean something. Ein Oid Milvade. Fresca doesn't really exist. Ein Oid Milvade. I don't really exist. The chair I'm on doesn't really exist. But Baruch Hashem, hopefully I go out of existence before the chair, else it could be, you know, somewhat. <laughs> the chair goes out of existence before me, that would be problematic. But it's usually together. Once the Rebbe Verbrengt was Yud Shvat Godel, and a lot of people came in from Eretz Yisrael for Yud Shvat Tavshin Lamed, and a lot of people came in from Eretz Yisrael, and the Rebbe the the Rebbe made a special Verbrengt for the guests from Eretz Yisrael on I believe it was a Sunday afternoon, and that there should be a Verbrengt before they go back to Eretz Yisrael, and the Rebbe's Verbrengt. Now everybody had to get. There was no Newark in those days. Everybody was leaving from Kennedy. So they all had to get their flights. Now, flights to Europe, you know, through Europe or the, you know, the straight flights leave 
seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, the later flights, 11 o'clock. So the Rebbe's Fabrengen people started looking at their watches because they didn't want to leave the Fabrengen, but they also didn't want to miss their flight. So people were sort of, you know, sitting listening to the Rebbe Fabrengen going like this. So the Rebbe noticed what was going on and I've said, I don't understand. Why are you all worried about missing your flights? You're looking at your watch. You're worried about missing the plane? And then the Rebbe explained the Indian of Humachadish Bukholyan Tamid Maisabrashis that he would he would that the Abishta renews creation at every moment, which means Alpichsidis that creation goes from a state of yesh to ayin to yesh to ayin to yesh to ayin to yesh to ayin every every macrosecond. So the world is going coming into existence and going out of existence and coming into existence and going out of existence at every smallest moment imaginable. Now, obviously, we don't notice those times that we go out of existence, right? What's a muscle? Well, if you've ever seen 35 millimeter film, right? There's a, an image and then a little line of celluloid material, plastic, then another image and then another line. And those images pass. I mean, this, it, it, digital works the same way. I just don't know how it works, but it's the same thing. There's image, 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 image. What's in between each image that you're looking at? A non-image, a non-state of being, right? Well, that's what allows for change. How do I get from one state to another state? A non-state in between that allows state one to turn into state two. Reality one will now become reality two, three, four, five. What's in between them? State of non-reality, so to speak. That's the ion in between each state of yesh. The Rebbe explained this for a few minutes. And the Rebbe said, I don't understand why you people are all worried about missing your plane. The plane you're going to get on doesn't even exist yet. It hasn't come into existence. So why are you worried about missing it? It doesn't exist. It, when does the plane that you get on come into existence? As you put your foot in the plane, the plane just came into existence. Now, so did you. Now, Baruch Hashem, when you're 35,000 feet in the air in that plane, you and the plane are going in and out of existence together. So don't worry about it. It's not that the plane is going to disappear and you're going to find yourself, even if you're sitting in business, it's not going to help very much if the plane goes out of you. Know, you'll have your comfy chair, but, you know, boy, I really fell asleep on that plane. <laughs> that was it. No, but that's how the world works. That's how the world works. And that's Eino Ed Muvadeh. It's all him, constantly. And this chassid was just, it's nothing but him. And he was really cocking in this. He was really thinking about it. He was walking along. Wow. He was so involved in it, he didn't notice that there was a low-hanging branch from a tree on the path he was walking on. And he walked right into the branch. His feet went out from under him, and he landed on the ground with a thud. His head really, really, really hurt. And he had one, you know, you run into a tree, you get that little scratch with the, the little pieces of blood. Right? Little, you don't like bleed, but a little scratch. So he goes like this, he sees a little blood and his head really hurts. Why does his head hurt? Because of the branch. But ain't no There's no head, there's no branch. So how can my head hurt? What did I hit? I hit ain't no and my head is Einoid Mulvad. So, I mean, I don't know. He didn't, he's just sitting there. How is. So he sat, thought about it, 
20 minutes he sat on the ground being misbeinen in this Indian, his head was banging from the beating it just took from this branch. How? Whoa, does my head hurt? So he came to the conclusion, I got it. Except that branch in my head. <laughs> Those are the only two things that exist. That story describes our reality all the time. Every single one of us knows Einoid And every single one of us feels our head and knows there's a branch. And the branch gets in the way and makes our head hurt or whatever it happens to be. So how do we navigate that? And in terms of, in terms of the fact that we all know mm. that we're, that we, we're, the Abishter sent the Sintaylam Hazar to bring Mashiach. That's why, they, I mean, you can call it anything you want, right? If you can call it Dirbatach Tani, you can call it the Gula Mitisva Shlema, you can, whatever you want, Gilu Elokus in Vata Tetzavas, the Rebbe says that what is the, what is the true Ratzon of a Yid? Gilu Elokus. What does Gilu Elokus mean? Mashiach, that's what it means. Mashiach by another name. Whatever it happens to be, it means that the, the Abisha created the world so that you and I, and we're the generation that's going to do it, and it's very, very exciting. We're going to bring Mashiach. But that's so this was all about. Everything that ever happened in the whole history of the world is all ultimately about some generation actually figuring out how to bring Mashiach. Not in some conceptual way. Not Enoid Mulvada except my head in that tree. But no, ain't Movada. Where does my head and the tree fit in there? That's really a good question because my head and my and that tree are they're also part of Ainod Movada. It's also just him. Wait, I'm I'm him? No, I'm not exactly him. Right? I mean, I'm not the Abishtah. Seder, but but my existence is simply an expression of his existence, and the existence of that tree is simply an expression of, ex, of, of, of his existence. We're, we're not separate from Enoid Mavade, we're all part of Enoid Mavade. There's nothing other than him? Okay, right. Meaning, even those things that are out there that appear to be other than him aren't other than him. What's one of those things? And this is really hard for us. It's really, it really is hard for us. I'm not saying it, it's not, it's not a drusha. It's true. It's life. I mean, gullus. Uh, it's one of those things that somehow is part of Enoid Movada. It's like hitting your head against a tree and it hurts. And it scratches. Without no gullus, I'd be fine. We talk to people about bringing Mashiach. Well, if the Abish would just send Mashiach, I'd get from it. I could bring Mashiach. I have no problem bringing Mashiach once Mashiach is here. It's bringing Mashiach from Golis. That's my problem. Well, where else exactly are we going to bring Mashiach from? <laughs> right, what are we going to transform into Geula? Geula? That, then it's done. That's not a big deal. The idea is to transform Geula into Geula by finding the Aleph, being Masif, the Aleph in Geula, so it transforms into Geula, which is finding Elokus in Geula. What does that mean? That means finding Elokus in our lives. Living Elokus, breathing. Hmm? Like you know. Just like telling them like your reality is really like this, like there's a better reality. I guess you're not saying it doesn't exist, it's kind of like- what, wait, what, what doesn't exist? What do you mean? It's like, 
like this isn't where it's at, like there's a better like, there's a, like what is it? Like, Everybody knows this isn't where it's at. Not every, I mean, if there's one <laughs> thing, yeah, I mean, it, 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 maybe, like, I don't know, maybe it's something that it's like hard to like tell people, like, like an alternate reality. That's why I feel I I hear what you're saying, but but I, I think that's I think people are so open to that these days. I mean, they're, they're trying to create an alternate reality, right? They're trying to take <laughs> the courthouse and turn it into a pile of ashes. I mean, that's creating an alternate reality. Let's burn down everything. Right. I mean, there. One thing, as a spectator from the outside watching modern-day America, one thing is striking. People are just so angry. What are they so angry about these people? They're just so angry. Democrats are just angry at everybody. What are, you, what's, what are you angry about? So there, what's the positive of that? There's an amazing Sikha, the Rebbe. The Rebbe asks, right as all of the stories begin in, in Bamidbar, the stories that aren't always the best stories, right? And the first story is the Misenini, the ones who complain, right? And, and the Rebbe asks, what? And when do we read it? Parshas Nasseh, right after Shavuos, sometimes before, but usually right after. What are all these complaints? Nebuchadnezzar says an amazing thing. In general, I mean, if you're taking a long sikha and turning it into something very short, but we're supposed to do that. Um, Nebuchadnezzar says, when a yid complains about reality, what are they really complaining about? Their nefeshelokis isn't satisfied with what's going on, and their nefeshelokis isn't satisfied with the level of elokus being revealed in the world, and so they're they're complaining. Now their complaint might come through the nefeshelokis and end up being just um kvetchy. Okay, but what's the source? Of it? The source of it is in a yid, not in the people burning down Portland, but in a yid. Where, where, what's the? Where, it's coming from a place of dis, a lack of satisfaction with reality as it is. Oh, okay, so. Where it's coming from and these people, I don't know. But at least we can take that, all of that incredibly negative energy and try to transform it into something positive that at least what these people want is a new world. Ah, the new world they want is really, it's called Venezuela. It's not new. I mean, <laughs> right? You're just, all you want is Venezuela. So why are you doing this, right? You want to call it Russia. You want you call it whatever. It doesn't matter. Cuba. You just you, you want to create just disaster. Okay, but but that's not new. That's old. That's old news. Why are you why are you living old news? What's the new news? Mashiach is the new news. That's the real news. That's what's really happening. All right. You want to break down an order? Fine. But don't replace it with something that's broken. Lechatchila connect to what's real, what's not broken. And what people, people are definitely looking for something alternative, which is, which, is pos, which, is, which is positive. I mean, the way they're going about it is absolutely disastrous, but they're looking for something good. And even, even you know, I mean, I've, American policy, I mean, I'm just, obviously it's, you know, nothing's black and white, but the so-called the Republican who likes things the way they are, so to speak. 
the things that they talk about are all the good things that there are. They know there's bad stuff, but they say, wait a minute, why are, why are you only talking about the bad stuff? Why don't you talk about the good stuff? Because there is good stuff. And all this good stuff they mention is stuff that'll be around when Mashiach comes. Family, God, right? That, that, that's what they're pushing. Wait a minute, you guys forgot what this place is all about. This place is all about an interesting experiment and giving people the ability to experience goodness. And this other side is saying, ah, but it's all bad. So you can take the positive from half of it and say, yeah, beautiful. Find the goodness. And, and, and the negative of these people, they're so negative, it's, it's beyond belief. I mean, they're just so miserable. Okay, well, okay, good. You're miserable about the fact that the world isn't the way it should be. You're right. Let's take that energy and turn it into something positive, make it a better place. Not, don't, don't turn it into Venezuela. We have one of those, one is enough. We can, but there's, there's something positive can come out of this. Okay. Who knows? Who knows what the Abish has got in, got in store for us? I mean, we know what he's got in store for us. Exactly when? We're not sure. We hope it's going to be taken from Yad. But, but all this craziness, I mean, it's, it's definitely changing reality. Okay, good. Reality has to change. We don't want it to change in a negative way. We want it to change in a positive way. And I think people are open to that. I remember once talking to someone who uh, was saying that um, you can't talk about Mashiach with Balichu, it'll turn them off. So I just found, now this was someone who grew up from, obviously, because no Balichu would say that. Why? You're going to tell me Mashiach is weirder than Tefillin? <laughs> Tefillin is weird. That's really funky. Hey, man, you Jewish? Yeah, come. Let's strap, let's strap black leather boxes and black leather straps on you. You got any studs, man? Can I put a stud in my nose when I do with it? No, 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 no studs. Only leather. Only leather. Let's go. Tefillin is very bizarre if you didn't grow up with it. Mashiach? Better world? Utopia? I mean, everybody wants that. So I don't, I don't think that's an issue. I think most people will find that a very, a very, uh, a very beautiful thing. Right? Tefillin. I mean, I understand that your mitzayim is not tefillin, right? You know, candles, okay. You know, in all fairness, you guys have it pretty easy, right? <laughs> you want to light some candles? Oh, candles! Wow. <laughs> You got any that have a fragrance? Oh yeah, here, sweetie, take the look. These are purple. Oh, you should get some. You know, just I don't know, carry some perfume and spray it on the thing. Oh wow, thank you so much. So wait, light it at six twelve on Friday afternoon. Wow, why? It's a special cosmic moment. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. And and they'll why 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 would you know that's a little easier to sell than black leather boxes with leather straps. And you have to do it right now in the street, right? Okay, but say them. It's not always easier to be a man. I mean, I I know you know, my wife. Whenever I have to walk out the door Friday night to go to those wonderful events called the Shalom Zohar. 
<laughs> which are such wonderful events, such a wonderful thing. It's just what every Jewish man wants to do. Friday after Friday evening after a hard week is after dinner, getting the kids to sleep. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't go to very many anymore because all my friends are old and decrepit like me. And so we're not making Shalom Zachers. But, 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 you know, when we were young and not decrepit and we had our own children at home and so we were more exhausted. So, so you know, what, how, oh, what's more fun? What would you rather do than leave your house and schlep in the rain to some guy's house and sit down and, you know, pretend that you want to be there? I mean, it might be a friend and you do, you know, you really happy, you are happy for the person, but in all fairness, it's, little Shabbos, you don't want to leave your house, you're home, finally, you just want to stay there, right? Every time I used to go out, my wife always used to, I'd say, good Shabbos, she'd say, Baruch Shaloya Sunny Gever. And she'd walk upstairs and go to sleep. <laughs> oh, every day. Baruch Shaloya Sunny Gever. Every time. And I just smile. That's my sweetie. <laughs> And that's the way it goes. So we're busy with our Baruch every day. Shaloya Sanisha. Yeah. It's, it's not always so easy. It's not always so easy. So we have, we have all sorts of. So, Mashiach. But I don't know, Mitzrayim is one thing. Mitzrayim is one thing, but we also, you know, the, the first person that we have to do a lot of Mitzrayim with is the person whose teeth we brush every day. That person, we have a lot of responsibility for that person's well-being and that person's involvement in the general well-being of the world. And that's really interesting enough, the only person I have any control whatsoever over, the person I refer to as me. Right? Meaning, I have a certain amount of control over my children, but anybody who's a parent realizes that that's only because they haven't figured it out yet. Right? And if they do figure it out, then we're really in trouble. There's very little we can do. And um, certainly don't have control over our spouse. We don't have control over the people around us. Why? Well, we're not supposed to have control over these people. These people are individuals who have those are supposed to have control over themselves. They're, they're living their life. And one thing as uh, young women who are starting, wherever you're holding in, the, uh, in the, that wonderful process of being a parent, none of you are so far along, even though some of you in the room have started that, okay. As your kids grow older, don't try to control them. Let them be people. Let them make mistakes. Right? Now, if the mistake is chas v'shalom dangerous, so of course you, you, you do whatever you have to do. But most mistakes are not dangerous. They're just mistakes that people learn from. Right? So your kids don't have to do everything you want them to do. I mean, I'll pee a I understand they do if you tell them. But you don't have to tell them. Right? Even with little kids, what do they tell parents with little kids? Is your eight-year-old the oldest? Yeah. Okay. So you know. pick your battles, right? Don't battle the kid about everything. Kid does something wrong in the living room. He doesn't need you telling him every single time that he did something wrong, right? I mean, would you like that? Every single time you do something wrong, someone shows up and says, that's not good. You're better than that. Is there, any, is there a safe space around here that I can find? No one's going to tell me that if I make a mistake. Is there such a place? 
Big Mother is watching you. It used to be Big Brother, now it's Big Mother, right? It's just, you know, pick your battles. You don't, have to, you don't have to be there for everything. You know, okay, the kid just spilled something you didn't even notice. Just go to your room, see what happens over the next 10 minutes. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna go, he's gonna make a bigger mess trying to clean up the mess, but you know, let him clean up the mess and then pretend you don't even know that he spilled it. And it's okay, nothing's gonna happen. It's okay, when they get older, let them make their own decisions. It's so frightening in my notes so often, 22, 23, 24 year old Bachrin, they'll ask them, you know, what are, you, what are your plans next year? Well, I wanna do this, but my parents want me to do this. Now, you know, I'm supposed to be the religious Jew who's into Kibbutz Avaim and all that, right? But excuse me, why? What have your parents got to do with your decisions? You're 23 years old. You're an adult. Make a decision. Then tell your parents, I think this is what I want to do next year. What do you think? Good idea? But you're doing it. Why? Because you're 23 years old and you're old enough to make your own decisions and make them. And don't. And what's the problem? I don't think the 23-year-old kid is the problem. I think the parent of the 20-year-old, 23-year-old kid is the problem. And the parent won't let the 23-year-old kid make a decision. So then the 23-year-old kid doesn't think he can. Of course he can. If he can't, he, so then really the parents should stay out of it so he'll learn how to. So many parents getting involved in things that isn't their business. Meaning I understand it's their child and I understand sometimes children make choices that we don't want them to make, but they're allowed to make them. They're an adult, they're an individual separate from you and they're an adult and they can make those choices. And it's very important as a parent to let them make those choices. You ever notice that's how God runs the world? He lets us make our own choices. He doesn't stop us before we make a mistake and go, no, don't do that. Whoa. Right? Now, we'd be really good that way. We'd all be marshmallows. We'd have no personality, no reality. That's exactly the world God didn't create, right? There was a world like that. It's called Ganadin. It lasted a few hours and the Abishter on the sixth day of creation, not part of the history of the world, part of the creation of the world, destroyed that world. Right? The sixth day of creation is the destruction of Ganadin because that's not the world the Abishter wants around. He wants a world where you and I, Milamata, learn, teach ourselves, teach others, figure it out, make mistakes, and ultimately come to the realization of Ened Novade and act the way we're supposed to act and get things together and bring Mashiach. Oh, good catch. That's what, that's what the Abishta wants. You ever notice how our Rebbe does it? Go open a Chabad house. How? What are you going to for? Go open a Chabad house. Rebbe told anybody how? No. Just said, go open a Chabad house. What am I supposed to do? Figure it out. Sometimes it's interesting because I hate to pull rank, you know, in terms of age, but I just remember this and it's not something that would happen today. There would be certain things happening in Lubavitch that were clearly not positive. You know, people fighting and not getting along. It's not like this is new. Lubavitch has been a bunch of Russians banging into each other for a very long time. So People always wonder, especially people outside of Lubavitch, why doesn't the Rebbe just tell them to stop? Never would. Rebbe never did. 
Now, that doesn't mean the Rebbe didn't express displeasure sometimes with things people did. That's the Rebbe definitely, but, or the opposite. But most of the time, you figure it out. Go figure it out. I'm telling you what the truth is. This is truth. This is what's real. This is Einaid Milvade. Now go figure it out. In your own life, your own way. Why is that? But that's because that's that's Salem Azza. That's a Veda. That's that's it's interesting. There's a the, the an amazing Sikha. Um, two secrets from Chavchasivan, which I think we're still allowed to talk about, aren't we? After Gimel Thomas, you're still allowed to talk about Chavchasivan, or is it you're not allowed to because now you're living in the past or something? But but Chavchasivan, so there are two Chavchasivan. I didn't I, I didn't really you know I, I never like really understood the whole like how did Chavchasivan start so to speak? I, I, we know that the Rebbe and the Rebbeson came to America and. Chavchasiv Tavshin Yudal, 1941. But when did the Chassidim figure that out? Now, obviously, there were Chassidim there who knew that happened, but that was a very, very small group of people. There were very few people around them. I have a neighbor in, in Harnov who grew up in this neighborhood, used to have an insurance agent. I don't think it's not there anymore. Used to have an insurance agency on Kingston Avenue called um, uh, New. Oh, man. I'm blanking. Anyway, there was an insurance agency, and he 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 ran it, and then his son ran it until ten years ago. It was there, so he remembers. He grew up in the neighborhood in, when the Frieda Rebbe came to America. Tess other Tavshin, 1940. He remembers his father. They weren't Lubavitchers. They lived in Kranites, but they weren't Lubavitchers. Um, there were no Lubavitchers in Kranites in 1940. <laughs> Frieda Rebbe wasn't here yet. All right, so so. Um, his father took him to the docks to welcome. He said, a big tzaddik, he just got out of Europe and he's coming and it's, it's, he didn't say the Friedrich Rebbe because the Friedrich Rebbe wasn't the Friedrich Rebbe, right? He was the Rebbe. It's the Lubavitcher Rebbe and uh, we're going to go to the docks. So he remembers, he remembers uh, going to the docks. Solomon, Solomon's insurance, Lenny Solomon. So Lenny told me, Eliezer, loser. Eliezer is really. So he, he, he said that he remembers his father getting phone calls to be mashlim a minion for the Frida Gareb. There wasn't a minion. They needed a tent for the Frida Gareb's minion. So he would, his father would get a phone call and, he, and his father would go to 770 and go upstairs to the Frida Gareb's room and be mashlim the minion. There was no one around at the beginning. No one. I mean, how could there be anybody around? The Rebbe just got here. Frida Gareb. So when the Rebbe came a year later, there were still very few people around. So the few people who were around knew. I think Fogelman wrote a Yoman that's like, you know, people published it later, but no one knew. How did people find out that there's this reality called Chav Chesivan and that the Rebbe and the Rebbetson came to America and Chav Chesivan, Tavshin Aleph? In, 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 in Tavshin Mem Dalet, 1984, they published. Uh, some egress of the Friedrich Rebbe. And in one of the egress, the Friedrich Rebbe writes, it was dated that today my daughter and son-in-law made it safely to America from Europe. So the Chassidim went, oh, the Rebbe came, so of course, Bochrim being Bochrim, started making a shturim about So that year there was nothing, in Mem Vav, they wanted to make a big shturim. They put up posters, and the Rebbe actually did say a sikhan, 
but he talked more, the Rebbe talked more about Tess Adarn, Friedrich Rebbe talked. Didn't mention him, he didn't talk about Chav Chesiv in itself. Didn't even mention Chav Chesiv, but there was a Sicha. But it's interesting when the, it's, it's so the Rebbe, when, when, when um, the Bochim said they wanted to make a Shturim about Chav Chesiv, and because the Rebbe came from Europe, the Rebbe said, Ishu Beisoy. Meaning, the, the man and his wife, not just the Ish, the man and his wife, we both came. Right? Ishu Beisa, Bachim. What do they know from such a thing? Right? So the Rebbe was teaching them, hello, I didn't come alone. And Ishu uh, Beisa, the Rebbe said. The first time the Rebbe forbring the Mamish and Chav Chasivan and actually talks about Chav Chasivan was Tavshin Mem Tes. It fell out on Shabbos. There's a Sikh all about Chav Chasivan. And it was Parsha Shlach, and the Rebbe talks about the Indian of Ladaitcha. This was all an answer to your question. I know it took a while, but that's. That's why a Fabrengen doesn't have a title. Because everything takes a while in Fabrengen. The, the, um, the Rebbe explains in of Ladaitches, Shlach Lecho, right? You send, what's Lecho? So Rashi says, Ladaitcho, in accordance with your will. I'm not commanding you. If you want, you can send. That's what the Abisha says to Moshe Rabbein. The Rebbe explains the Indian of Ladaitches. So there's two different levels of of a person's behavior. There's behavior that is a function of a tzivui, a, a, a command from above. And there's a whole new level in Aveda which is revealed in shlach, and that's ledaitcha, that milamata, from the Jew, him or herself, mitzad, their own appreciation of the Abishta's will, that they become sensitive to what God wants, even though he doesn't tell them, and that's Ladaitcha. And that whole new Aveda came into being with the whole story of the Murad. And it's a very positive thing, the Rebbe says. Aye, there were certain negative hashlachot from what happened with the Muragim. That's certainly true. But interesting enough, what was the, the Muragim all about? Going into Eretzel and conquering Eretzel. Where does that come from? Ladaitcha. That's all Ladaitcha. What the Rebbe tell us? I've done what I can do. Now it's up to you, right? Bring Mashiach. We didn't believe the Rebbe. Thought the Rebbe was going to do it. I mean, he's doing it, right? But, but, but he wants us to. I mean, we're the ones who have to do it. We have to bring Mashiach. Can we bring Mashiach without seeing the Rebbe? Well, evidently, because that's where we are. Did we want this to happen? Well, if anybody did, they, they, they're not a healthy person. But this is what happened. We're in a situation where we don't see the Rebbe with our physical eyes. Can we bring Mashiach without seeing the Rebbe with our physical eyes? Can we be a real Chassid without seeing the Rebbe with our physical eyes? Can we be a real Chassid without ever having seen the Rebbe with our physical eyes? Well, if you say no to that question, then you are disagreeing with the Kaddish Baruch Hu's running of the world. Because the Kaddish Baruch Hu obviously thinks that you can because that's the situation almost everybody in this room is in. And to be perfectly honest, the fact that obviously it's very nice to have seen the Rebbe. But it's been a very long time for everybody. So obviously you and I can do what it is that we have to do, even though we don't see the Rebbe walk into 770, daven with us, for praying with us. If, if, if we absolutely needed that, there's parts of us that we feel that we need that, and that's a good part of us. I understand that. But bottom line, if we absolutely needed that, 
in order to do what it is we were sent to Elam Hazet to do, then that would be the experience we all have. That is not the experience we have right now. Therefore, by definition, we do not need that. Those are the, that's the Rebbe's explanation relative to another issue, but the Rebbe's explanation of how God runs the world. That everything that is necessary for a person to fulfill their shlichus exists in the world. And if something doesn't exist in the world, that means that's a sign that it's not necessary to fulfill the shlichus. Rebbe said that to a rabbi regarding a question, well, the answer to the question, Holocaust, why? This is someone who'd gone through the, through the Shoah. And it was from, he's still from, it was a rub in Brooklyn. But he certainly didn't understand why he had to see Sutton, the Mukhash. He just didn't understand that. Why, why did I have to go through that Gehenim? And why did all those Yidin go through the Gehenim? And most of the Yidin that he knew didn't make it through like he did. And he asked the Rebbe. And the Rebbe explains, a long letter explains, how everything God created in the world is for a purpose. That purpose is dear Betach et etc., etc., etc. And everything necessary in the world to bring about that purpose exists in the world. And then the Rebbe says at the end of the letter, the answer to your question does not exist in the world. Therefore, it's not necessary to bring Mashiach. Well, but I don't need Mashiach to bring Mashiach. That's what we're talking. We're talking about bringing Mashiach. I can't. I, 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 if Mashiach shows up, then the 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 Aveda bringing Mashiach is over. We did it. We're finished. Right now, you and I have an Aveda to do. We have to bring Mashiach. We are absolutely, completely, and totally responsible for that reality. Don't blame anybody else. It's not the people who disagree with you who are not bringing Mashiach. The only person that I know who can bring Mashiach is me. And the only person you know who can bring Mashiach is you, because you have control over your life, and you can use your life to bring Mashiach. Does that mean that you, there are other people? To, of course, there's, all about Baruch Hashem. there's all sorts of people doing that. Are they doing a better job than me? Of course they're doing a better job than me. But the only person I know who I have control over who can bring Mashiach is me, because that's the only person whose life I live. I only live one person's life, Baruch Hashem. I mean, I, we, we talk, there are parents who like to live all their children's lives, get a life, one, live your own. Your children are not little nachas machines that exist to give you nachas. They are individual human beings that have their own Aveda. How do you stay away from control? If you have such a taiva, go talk to a friend and figure out not to act on it. I mean, it's a taiva like anything else. Control is a big taiva, right? Because I, I think their parents are incredibly insecure about parenting and insecure about themselves. And so they export. I see. But they, 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 uh, so they, I think they express that. And that's a simple answer, but I do think that's the, you know, sort of. The nekuda ikaris in the whole thing there is, is, is that their parents don't really feel confident in their own ability to be a parent. And so I remember once asking, once asking some students in the University of Illinois campus at the end of a talk about how we all have our own self-worth and we don't. I mean, maybe we'll go there later, but we're not going there right now. But just the, 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 just the story that the, 
it was at the end of a, of a talk about the fact that you, you aren't worth something because you accomplish things. You're worth something because God created you. Now go accomplish things. And that's how the Rebbe looks at us. And that's how the Rebbe looks at the world. And that's how God looks at the world. So we're worth something because God created us. The person doesn't have to do something to be worth something. So we're talking about the fact that so often in the Western world, the person has to, a person is judged by their accomplishments. So if they accomplish more, they're, they're worth more. And if they accomplish less, they're worth less until they could be worthless. And that's not good. So then I just, it happened to be, the, the, the shaliach told me it's exam time. So you're going to have to finish pretty early because the kids are pretty stressed. So I don't know what got into me, but anyway. So I, I asked them, you guys are having exams tomorrow, huh? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? So we were having a good time by this time. So they was, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. Okay. Um, do you think you're worth more are you going to think that you're worth more if you get an A on the exam tomorrow as opposed to a B? So most of them said, yeah. I said, do you think that's true now? They said, no, probably not, but yeah, I will. Okay, good, fine. So then uh, I said, um, can we do, can I ask another question? Yeah. Do you think your parents are gonna think that you're worth more if you get an A than if you get a B? It was silent like this for a while. Like, whoa. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. So then I said, can I ask a third question? By this time, they were nervous. So can I ask a third question? They burst out laughing, but it was nervous laughter. Do you think your parents are going to think more about themselves if you get an A as opposed to a B? And they all said, yep. Now you tell that 19 year old kid with that pressure that the mark he gets on that exam is his self-worth, his parents' view of him and his parents' view of themselves. Because if their kid got a B, they're failures. Now, go be a happy, healthy, well-adjusted human being. You're wondering why that kid's drunk and on drugs all day? Which he is. Of course he is. Who could live with that pressure? Who could live under such pressure? Everything that I'm doing is not only about me, it's about my parents and, and, and my grandparents. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? It, it could be generations. His aunts and uncles could be involved in this. They're all sitting at home, you know, watching, waiting. What did Jim get on his exam? Mary, did Jim call yet? Poor Jim. Of course Jim didn't call yet. He passed out. <laughs> that really is what they're, they're really living with that, these poor kids. That's very heavy. So now if those parents had more self-confidence in, in their own self, so then they wouldn't need their child to be successful in order to feel like they're a successful human being. Right? But they don't really think that they're very successful. So maybe I'll leave some clandestine success through my child. And they put this unbelievable pressure on their child. My goodness gracious, he's a 19 year old. <laughs> Let him live. And if he, doesn't, if he gets a B on his math exam, what's gonna happen? 
Big deal. Is he happy? Is he well adjusted? Does he treat people properly? That's what matters, right? You got a B or an A in math, who cares? You even got a C. <laughs> and we can do it to ourselves. We can do it to ourselves. And the Rebbe comes and tells us that's not what life's about. And, and, and then each and every one of us can, can accomplish amazing things, but we're not worth something because we accomplish. What does the Rebbe say to us? You are so amazing, so now go accomplish. There's no end to what you can do. The Rebbe tells us over and over and over again. And, and most of the people in this room, in all fairness, I would say basically all of you, in all fairness, I would say that too. You're at a point in life, you're at such an amazing place in life. There's almost nothing you can't do. Okay, but say there's some kids and there's a certain amount of, you know, that, that, that's definitely limiting. And okay, but basically, there's so much that you can accomplish. Not to be worth something. There's so much you can accomplish because you're worth so much. Because the Rebbe believes you, and why does the Rebbe believe in you? Because the Rebbe knows who we really are, and we're created by the Abishan. If we're created by the Abishan, then we must be worth something. Because there was an old Lubavitch poster, God don't make junk. <laughs> God don't make junk. That means, you know, the kid who's not so good at things, give him his respect. Good, but how about ourselves? God don't make junk. I'm not junk. Can't be junk. God doesn't make junk. So therefore, I must be worth something. You are. Good. Now, go, do, live. Make it happen. There's no end to what we can make happen. And in all fairness, the, 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 there's times in life when we have more opportunity and times in life when we have less opportunity. Not just because we, in all fairness, we probably spent a long time dealing with those opportunities. So there's less avenues open. It's not that we're, no one's retiring, but I was asked to take over a particular school by someone that was, you know, needed to be taken over. I don't think I was wrong. I said, you, you need someone 35 years old. You don't need someone my age. You need someone 35 years old who can take this as the energy of a 35-year-old and who, you know, won't sleep for the next 10 years and make this thing happen. I, you know, you don't need someone who's, you know, Energy level is diminishing, not increasing. Right? The last four days in Kranites, I tried to keep up with Bachrin. I mean, I didn't try to keep up with Bachrin. I just happened to be doing the same thing Bachrin were doing, which is what everybody was doing. We're sitting for breaking every night until four in the morning, five in the morning. Right? Okay. So last night I left it for bringing at 4.30 because I'm a low life and a thief. And... and, 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 and <laughs> And my son was, you know, just warming up, gives me a big kiss, goodbye, see you tomorrow, fine. So I saw him this morning, I said, uh, until when did, when were you here? So he said, well, I didn't leave. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, like, about seven o'clock we were for bringing, and I fell asleep. I never did this, he said. Ab, I never did this. I fell asleep with my head on my chin. And I woke up at 10 o'clock. 
walk up in seven seventy at ten o'clock, sitting in the same place where it's now all of a sudden it's full of people in thousand fill in. The Rebbe's minion is about to begin. He probably woke up at five to ten because there's a song that starts at five to ten. It probably woke him up, right? So, so then he said, "Well, I, so I, I, I got up and I went to my room and I got stuff for the mikvah. I went to the mikvah. I, you know, I didn't get back. So that, you know. Now the night before, I know he was up until six. So how do you how do you do that when you're twenty? That's okay. At a certain age, you, they, you can't do that anymore. I mean, you, I mean, you just you can do it once, twice, but just you know, night after night. Okay." So you guys are at the you you, you have you, you're at the play. The Abishter is giving you lots of energy to get things. Not, not I'm not I'm not uh, retiring. I mean, you know, I'm not. But but there's a time in life when you die, you do have less energy. And I think I was right to tell him find someone 35 years old, find someone who can take this under their wing and go with it. This is their whole life, right? And that's harder to do when you're 65 to take something completely new under you and this is your life. Okay, this is your life, but you know what? Grandkids are the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> there is nothing like grandkids. So it's going to be hard to keep someone at work all day if you can, you know, go hang out with some grandkids, right? So it's just a lot of competition later in life. Good competition, Baruch Hashem, but they're just the greatest. You want to see some pictures? <laughs> You're at that place, and you know it's it's um, your generation that's going to bring Mashiach. Ah, you're you know the question that everybody asks, and it's a real question. It's not chos v'shalom to belittle the question. Everybody asks it. It's it's a real question. You know how can we be chassidim? We never saw the Rebbe, etc. I get it. I do. I get it. Don't worry. But okay, fine. It's a real question. But bottom line, I'm gonna go out inside. You, you, are you are you allowed to make an like? Are you allowed to sing in here, or is that too much noise for the? That's okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna walk out somewhere and let you guys because there's this thing that that is unfair in the world, and I feel so good about the fact that I have been part of solving it temporarily. <laughs> Women when they leave sem rarely get an opportunity to sit with another 30, 40 women and sing the gunam, which is what they got used to doing in Sem. And then you leave Sem and you don't have that opportunity very often. Men have that opportunity all the time. We forbring and sing the gunim all the time, right? And, you know, in Yeshiva, you know, we say Kedusha in 770. You sing a nigan with 5,000 other people and just, you know, you're taken to another place. Okay. Women don't get that opportunity as much. So I must say one of the nicest things of sitting with women is to leave them in the room and give them the opportunity to sing a niggin together. So I was actually gonna say something, I don't remember what it was. So I guess that's my cue to, to uh, go let you sing a niggin. But I will tell you something that the people who've heard me say this, I apologize. I know you heard me say this and, uh, and uh, the Seder, but um, it's all right. Um, Rav Mendel used to say that people think that in Fabrengans we sing a niggin in order to give the person talking time to think of something else to say. The person talking ran out of things to say, and then they get that serious look and they go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. Oh. And then everybody joins them and they stop singing. They say, 
Anyway, All right. Okay. So that's that's not true. That really isn't true. Right. That really isn't true. But Rav Mendel said something very deep. He said the he said it's not true. We don't sing a niggin in order to give the person time to think about something to say. The only reason we say anything at a Fabrengan is that we'll have what to think about when we sing the niggin. That's what Rav Mendel said. Rav Mendel knew what a Fabrengan was about. So I will I'll go, I'll go stand outside. I'll go stand outside. I'll pretend that I can't hear you. And um, <laughs> And and um, and sing, but don't you know? I hate to be annoying. Actually, that's not true. Sometimes it's enjoyable being annoying. But right now, I'm not really not trying to be annoying. I, 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 don't sing, you know, seven songs, a third of the song, and do a whole medley of the you know greatest Lubavitch hits. Find one niggin, sing it, sing it again, sing it again. Get into it. Think about it. Okay. And I'm gonna go hide outside. Oh yeah. Oh, I don't want to take this. We have to go back to Ladaitcha because Ladaitcha is uh nobody says some really interesting things about the Indian of Ladaitcha, which we, we got there and then ended up somewhere else. Sort of. Mashiach has to come from us. Aravada has to come from us. Meaning the Abishta tells us what to do. Gives us lots of help in terms of how to do it. But interestingly enough, most of the help in how to do it came from Milamata. It's called Torah Balpeh. Now, I understand that Torah Balpeh came Milamaila, but we, you and I experienced Torah Balpeh. I mean, I, I was just learning today's Rambam. So, of course, what's today's Rambam? The Shalshelet of Torah Balpeh. So I made it from Mesha all the way down, and then they said, come in. So next time you sing, I'll go from <laughs> Ravashi all the way back up, which is, uh... but interesting enough, where did that all come from? Like the real hows of it, like Mamish, how to do it, where'd that come from? It's all Milamata, right? Yevishu didn't say how to keep Shabbos. He just said, keep Shabbos. Now, I understand, he really did. I, of course it came from Mesha and was, it came from the Abishan, was given to Mesha and Isina and Tosh Balpeh was taught. But, but that being said, all of those discussions of the, of the Tanoyim and the Amarayim that we learn, <clears throat> that's all Tosh Balpeh, which is coming Milamata to help us understand how to do the, the Ratzon of the Abishan, which comes Milamayla. Because everything's Milamata. Everything comes from Bawam. It's the way the Ebster wants it. The Ebster wanted a dear betach teinim, right? As I'll say, the Medrash and Tanchuma, Parshas Nosei, that 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 the Ebster wanted. He had a Nisavilei Kadosh Baruch Lei Slaves Baruch Dear Betach Teinim. Okay, say that. So he wants a dear betach teinim. So what does Chassidus explain? It's not just that he wants a dear betach teinim. He wants the tachtainim to make him a dira. Because if you want a dira b'tachtainim, so make a dira b'tachtainim. What do you want from me? Create a world. Make that world a place that has some aspect of tachtain to it, but that you're revealed there. And it's done. The Abishah can't make a dira b'tachtainim? Don't say that, right? Or else you get yourself in a little bit of trouble. The Abishah can do whatever he wants. Right, and everything he did, and it's such an important point in Chassidus, everything he did was beratzen and not behechrech. Anything the Ebrister does is because he wants to, not because he has to. He doesn't have to do anything. 
there has to be an Eilam Atzilis in order for there to be an Eilam Abriya? No. The Abishter wanted there to be an Eilam Atzilis, and from that Atzilis there came something Briya, and from that Yitzira, and from that Asiya, and then Asiya Gashvis. That, that's all because the Abishter wants it that way, not because it has to be that way. Yes, in Hasidus, we often explain how it has to be that the light is affected, that, but that's only because the Abishter wants it that it has to be. And if the, if, if the Abishter wants it that, that that isn't the way it works, so it won't work that way. Why are there 10 spheres? Because the Abishter wants there to be 10 spheres. Aren't 10 spheres because there have to be? The Abishter wants 10. Why 10? I don't know. Baruch Hashem, he doesn't want 12. Because then we'd have an extra finger. <laughs> well, you would, right? I mean, if there were 12 spheres, you'd have an extra finger, and you'd count 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, something, something, then 10, which would mean one group of 12s and zero units. That's how you'd count, right? What are those two? I don't know. Make them up. Nine, shmen, ben, ten. Right? But he didn't do that. He, he did ten. I mean, it would always be ten. But twelve would be ten. Because what's ten? One group of whatever it is and zero units. <coughs> so there's ten spheros because he wants there to be. What does he want? He wants there to be a dear B'dachtani, but he didn't. His taiva wasn't that there should be a dear B'dachtani. His taiva is that <coughs> you and I should create from a dear B'dachtani. Because he created a dear B'dachtani. It's called Ganeiden. And then he destroyed it. But the rabbi goes a step further. Don't ever eat these chips if you have to talk. <laughs> no, it's not like, it's, it's, I mean, I have this stuff to wash it down. It's just there. It's not like, you know, oh, give him some water. Well, that, you know, fresh, you know, fresh is just water with poison. So it's, all the, it's, all the, it's, you know, it's all the same stuff. <clears throat> I allow myself to drink fresco whenever I'm in the United States because there isn't fresco in Eretz as well. So I, it's my uh, little treat of, 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 you know, completely unhealthy, you know, glow-in-the-dark food because, um, because there isn't any in, so I, I don't even have to worry about a tiger for it in Eretz as well. So. <clears throat> um, The Ebishter wants a Dirbat He wants you and I to make a Dirbat and and, and and so when he created this Dirbat and that's called Gan Eden, and then he, so to speak, you know, on some level destroyed that. But the Rebbe goes a step further. The Rebbe explains that when the Ebishter looks at the world, what does he see? He sees a Dirbat When a Kaddish Baruch so to speak, looks at Elam he sees a place of concealment. He sees, he sees himself. Why do they, they, nothing's concealed to the Ebishter. But Helen Bester is only relative to us. The Abishter sees Helen Bester, he sees himself. It's all just him. Right? He sees him. He sees that it's all him. And what's the issue? The issue is that you and I have to experience reality that way. That's our Aveda. It has to come from us. It has to not be, I mean, yes, the Abishter told us to do that, but it has to be, we bring it about by making it our reality. Remember once our son Labish was in uh, was in Harnof, and uh, someone was for bringing, and Labish doesn't usually do this, but the, the person, I, the, I mean, the, I shouldn't say the person was for bringing, the person was talking, they weren't for bringing. And Labish got upset, so he sort of 
took over the Fabrengen, which is not his personality usually, but he did it in Baruch Hashem because it turned into the great Fabrengen. But he, what was he cocking in? Well, obviously something he was thinking about. He said he was thinking about this in davening. Ein lanu elihim zulas chaselu. Right? Shachos. Ein lanu elihim zulas chaselu. We have no elukim other than you. Ein lanu elukim zulas chaselu. You ever think about that when you say it? Ein lanu elukim zulas chaselu. There's nothing but you. And yet what? That 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 He loves us. He chose us, and he wants us to do what it is that he wants us to do. He chose us. He loves us. What does that mean exactly? I don't know exactly because I don't know exactly what it means. The Abishter loves something. Baruch Hashem, we've experienced this. Thing called love, so we understand what it is to some degree. I mean, it's hard to describe it, right? People have been trying to describe love in intellectual terms for a very long time, and they always fail because love is not an idea, it's an emotion. So intellect can't really understand it, right? You can't prove love in a laboratory. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, you just can't prove it in a laboratory. Like God. Can't prove God in a laboratory either. Doesn't mean he doesn't exist. He's just not an idea. You know, only prove ideas in laboratories, right? Can't prove emotions in a laboratory. You want to prove emotions exist by monitoring some person who gets hit and then gets kissed. Oh, you see? Positive emotion, negative emotion. Who says? Well, I don't know. That's what we call it. Right, that's what we call it. <laughs> okay, prove it to me. Yeah. Can't, I don't know. Can't prove it, you're right. Can't prove love. But Baruch Hashem, most of us have experienced it, so we know it is. Can't prove God. Hopefully most of us have experienced that a little bit somehow in some interesting way, and so we know it is. You can prove two plus two is four, because that's just a convention. Two plus two is four, that's just the way it is. I mean, we made it up. There's no two and there's no four. There's just a bunch of ones. But you and I, based on God, God told us, count the cows and you'll get to 10. And the 10th one's holy. Oh, there's such a thing called not just one, 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 one. No, 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 no. Go one, two, eight, six, three, two, seven, five, ten. Beautiful. Now that one, move them aside. Put them over there. Now do that again. And every tenth one, that's what you, so God told us to do it. He taught us that there's such a thing called counting. Okay. But it's not absolute, right? It's just, and you and I have this convention called, which, which works, right? And two plus two is four. That's the way it is. Two plus two is five? Wrong. No, but I feel that it is. And you feel wrong because two plus two is not five. <laughs> two plus two is four. There's no such thing anywhere in all of the universe that two plus two is five. It doesn't exist. Two plus two can be 11 if you're in base three. Right? Two plus two is one group of threes and one unit. Ooh, base three, whatever that means. But two plus two can be 11. Can't be 12, because if you're in base two, then there's no two. 
two is 10, one group of twos and zero units. Math is sort of interesting, <laughs> right? I mean, I always found it interesting until they tried to teach me trigonometry and then my brain turned off and said, don't ever, ever mention <laughs> mathematics to me again, ever. That was the end of me, sine, cosine. This is absolutely irrelevant. Just the other day, I was talking about this one and they actually told me that it's not irrelevant. <laughs> I said, why not? He said, because evidently, and I don't understand why, it's all right. If you wanna get a ship, from one place to another place on the ocean, evidently trigonometry is the way to do it, right? <laughs> Which is, I always wondered why they were, that's evident. I don't know how, I don't, I, I, you know, this is not our discussion on you, you poor people, me venting about, about you know, trigonometry. But, but, but that is evidently how you figure out how to get the ship from that port to that port over that round water that looks flat, but isn't, right? Right, I mean, it's not. So evidently that's where trigonometry, from, trigonometry comes in. How do you figure out to take what looks like flat, but it's not, it goes, so how do, how do, you, how do you figure that out? So if anybody's trying to ruin your life with trigonometry, at least know that there is, there is reason to this madness. There's some reason why someone figured all this out. Right? But, but everything exists because the Abishter wants it to exist. So, so it, it, nothing has to be. And if the Abishter wanted the world to be a place where he was completely and totally revealed without any Aveda on our part, then that's what the world would look like. But that's not what the Taiva was. The Taiva was that you and I make for him a dear Dathani. That's what he wants. Why? Don't, don't, uh, by right, by, by a Taiva, Freitman, you don't ask a Kasha about a Taiva. Right? Someone comes in on a hot, stinky, sweaty New York summer afternoon. Right? Comes in looking all red and schwitzy. They come in and say, wow, just such a tiver for a hot cup of tea. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I said, oh, for the last five minutes, I've just been thinking about having a hot cup of tea, but you look all schwitzy. I mean, if they came in and said, I have a tiver for cold water, you would say a tiver, perfectly reasonable thing to want cold water because you're all hot and schwitzy. No. They have a taiva for a hot cup of tea. Can you explain it? No, but that's their taiva. That's a, that's a taiva. A taiva is something that can't be explained rationally. It's a rutzen that can't be explained rationally. And if it can be, we call it a rutzen. So they ever said a taiva for a divatachtaining, something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He just does. Okay, that's what he has. And what does he want? He wants you and I to make it. It's all a daita. Comes from us. And everything that we do in our life comes from us. No one can do anything for us. I mean, people help us, right? I mean, of course, people. You know, someone can fill up your tank with gas and someone can teach you things. And some, but in terms of your life, what you accomplish in your life, no one else can accomplish that for you. You have to do it. And you have unbelievable kaychas to do it. And you have to believe in your ability to do it. Don't believe that you can't do it. Someone else can and you can't. That's not true. It's not true. It's the biggest cop out in the world that I can't. It's not true. Whenever you have those feelings that I can't, 
Now, there are certain things that are extremely difficult to do. And you might say, you know what, I, I really can't accomplish that. Okay, that, that, that's fine. You might obviously make decisions in life as to what you're going to try to do. I, I get that. But in terms of the things that really matter in life, that have to get done. So every single one of those things we can do. Why? Well, because they have to get done. So obviously we can do it. And if you think you can't, close your eyes, stand in front of the Rebbe, and explain to the Rebbe why you can't. See how far you get before you say, oh, forget it. I'm not doing this. This is not Shaya. This, is, I mean, this isn't happening. And then you'll go, okay, I got it. You're going to explain to the Lubavitcher Rebbe why you can't do what you're supposed to do, right? Oh, yeah. He'll understand. He'll go, oh, fine. Okay. You're a putter. All of my other Hasidim have to do it, but you don't. Right? So you know that that's a ridiculous thing. And as soon as, as soon as you begin to say the words to the Rebbe, as you closed your eyes and said to the Rebbe, that I can't, as soon as you even began to explain it, you realize that that's a silly thing. You know, sometimes you have a question, you want to ask the question, and then as you start formulating the question, you realize it's not a question. Like, I'm, I'm not going to ask this question. It's not a question. You already have the answer as you start formulating the question. Okay, just when, those times in life when you're not sure, and again, there are things that we can't do, right? There are things that each and every one of us, you know, that we just might not be able to accomplish, right? I mean, I, I think if, you know, if someone were to ask us to write a book in a foreign language that we don't know about a topic we've never heard about and to finish the book in, the month, in a month, we would say, I can't do that. That's reasonable. I can't do that. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't learn the language, learn the subject, and write the book in a month. I cannot do that physically, intellectually. Right, I got you. Okay, bring Mashiach. Does that fit into that category? No. Why do you know? Because you have to do that. That's why you were sent here. That's why we're here. So can we do that? Yes. It's Gimel Tammuz. It's Dalit Tammuz. It's Hey Tammuz. It's Gimel Tammuz. Meaning we're still Baruch Hashem, you know, walk around the neighborhood. It's still Gimel Tammuz. It's the also sorts of people who are here for one reason, one reason only. Because it's Gimel Tammuz. That's why all these strange looking people are walking around the neighborhood. Right? Still, yeah, you see a lot of people with the, you know, pulling, pulling suitcases. Okay, it's Gimel Tammuz. Why can't you find a place to sit in 770? This is still Gimel Thomas. This morning was still Gimel Thomas. You know, very hard to find a place to sit in 770. Tomorrow morning, probably easy. I guess. A lot of people left today. But it's Gimel Thomas. And what's Gimel Thomas about? Gimel Thomas isn't about, oh, my, how you all love me, what we had. Gimel Thomas is who we are. What are we about? What are we supposed to do? I know who are we? What are we about? What are we supposed to do? We're Lubavitch. We're the Rebbe. We're about Mashiach. That's what that's what Lubavitch is. My brother told me something great today, Mamish. No, he was on a phone call last night. He was at the oil for Shabbos with uh, with his son, and he ran into I mean he ran into all sorts of people. So there was a group was in our neighborhood. There's two brothers who became Lubavitchers. They grew up in a Litvish, Hasidish family. I think they went to Litvish issues. They both, they both gravitated towards a more Hasidish view of the world. And in the last three, four years, they became Lubavitchers. 
One of them started growing his beard six months ago, meaning he always had a trim beard. So, and they, they're very, they're, they're really amazing guys. And um, they opened up, on, um, our Lubavitch shul is a block out of the neighborhood and it has a whole story and a history of that shul. And the Rebbe gave a lot of brachas to that shul. And so that shul is still there. It's an old, it was the Arab schoolhouse of a neighborhood called Der Yassin, which is a famous Arab neighborhood that, you know, theoretically Menachem Begin massacred Arabs there, which is not true. But that's what they like to write in the newspapers. And of course, everything they write in the newspapers must be true because they just keep writing it. So everybody figures it must be true. So it's not true, but okay. But, but um, so, so that's this village that's turned from Der Yassin into a village called Kfar Shaul. And, and uh, just east of it is a neighborhood called Givat Shaul. And just west of it is a neighborhood called Harnof. So um, our shul it was the schoolhouse of of Der Yassin. And then it became the shul of a group of people who lived in Kfar Shaul, refugees from Europe, about 15 families who lived around the area. They all, all their kids left when they built Harnov. So Lubavitch took over the shul to make a minion for the old people who were living in, still living in that neighborhood, but they didn't have a minion because their kids had all left to, to you know, other places. So, so Lubavitch came and we made a minion and then they all died out and it just ended up our shul. But it's out of the neighborhood. So some, these two guys made a minion in the neighborhood. They don't call it Chabad because there's a shul up there and they don't want to start you know, making machlekes, etc. So it's called the Merkaz of Chassidus Amashu, but, but interestingly enough, they, they, they found a space for it. And uh, so one of the guys who, who was part of the group wanted to, wanted to name it after his father. Even though his father's alive, he wanted to name it he said, I'll, you know, I'll give you 100,000 shekels if it's in my father's name. What's his father's name? Menachem. Okay, so it's called Base Menachem. <laughs> they built, a, they built a, a women's section. Some guest came, Svarda Shagai from France, was in, the, he said, there has to be a nicer, nicer women's section. I want to pay for a nicer women's section. I want to name it after my wife. What's her name? Hannah. <laughs> so they have like you know Khan over there and base Menachem over here and they've got it and and they're doing amazing so they, they they're whole Hevra who are not Lubavitchers but they daven in this Lubavitch minion and they have it they have a daf Yemi sure there's 45 guys there every morning it's really it's a, it's inter really interesting little geshef they have over there so a bunch of these guys came for Gimel Thomas. a bunch of them one of them the guy who gave the hundred thousand dollars, he hundred thousand shekels. He uh, he put on a sirtuk for the first time. Gimel Thomas. Yes, yes, you know, Shabbos. It's another guy, really good guy, Svika. Svika's just a character. Grew up in Flatbush. Probably Svika's father came from a Chassidish family. His grandfather was a Chassid. Came from Europe. Sent his son, Svika's father, to Tara Vadas because that's where they all sent them. So they stopped being Chassidish. More Litvish, because they, they all went to Torvadas in those days. And uh, and and, uh, and and Svika's are, but he's kind of very Hasidish. Uh, what does Svika do for a living? All sorts of stuff. But his main income is Svika runs a super fancy Pesach in Mexico. So he disappeared. I didn't know this until this year. He dis last year he didn't do one, obviously. He disappears to Mexico, sets it all up, obviously knows all the shluchim in the area, is very close with them, does a fundraiser for the shluchim Meitzi Shabbos at his super Pesach event, 
he does a he does a Sudas Mashiach with with the with the shluchim, and at the end of Sudas Mashiach, they have a fundraiser for the local shluchim. All these rich people come. He said, "Look, there's someone spreading Yiddish guide here." He's like a wild guy, amazing guy, really special guy, but a character, you know, no, basically no beard, you know, wears jeans and a nice shirt and a jacket when he does. He just, but he's just he's a real good guy. So my brother ran into Tzvika at the oil on Shabbos. Tzvika said, he said such an amazing line. He said, I could really do this. I really, really like this, but I have a problem. And I said, what's your problem? He said, if you're a Lubavitcher, then all there is is Lubavitch. <laughs> Lubavitch is who you are what you are what you're about and everything to do with you he said I like you know dipping a little here and a little here I go to this rebella and I say I like that I have a good time with that because it's not he said it's not Mikhail. it doesn't obligate me to do anything he said if I really took you know, if I decided that I'm a Lubav Lubavitch it just that means you're Lubavitch that's who you are and I don't know whether that might be too much, too obligatory. Whoa, is that real? Let's take someone who's, so to speak, not a Lubavitcher to explain to a Lubavitcher what it means to be a Lubavitcher. It means it's everything you are. Okay. But it all comes from Ladaitcha. There's a Tsivuimi Lamaila. But ultimately, it all comes. From, from us, sensitizing ourselves to, to what it is that the Abishta wants from us and trying to bring that about in, in, our, in our everyday lives. As a parent, I understand, you know, something's happening in, in, in with, with, you know, with the kids. So you, you run and you find some book that tells you how to deal with it. There's no book that tells you how to deal with it. I mean, there is. It's called Every Torah Book Ever Written. <laughs> Okay, but this particular event, what, 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 is, what has to happen at that moment? A tremendous sensitivity to the fact that God is orchestrating, or is orchestrating this event and you have a chance in this moment to do something positive in your relationship with your children and somehow I have to figure out what that is and, and how to make that happen. And, and the one thing I know but if I get angry, I blew it. That's the one thing I know. How am I supposed to actually do it? I'm not sure, but I know one thing. If I get angry, it's over, I lose. Okay, now go deal with it. Oh, that's pretty hard. Well, it's called being a parent. That's <laughs> what a parent is. A parent is dealing with that all the time. It's called being a wife in a relationship with a husband all the time trying to be sensitive to what it is that, that he needs from me so that I can give him that. Now, hopefully that's what he's doing relative to you, but I'm talking to a group of women, so I'm going to talk about what women do, not what men do. Actually, what was I doing? A bunch of my old guys are getting married, so they asked if we could sit for an hour and talk about marriage. That's what I was doing the hour before I came into this room, was sitting with a bunch of guys who were getting married next week about marriage. And what was that all about? What the man does. What does a man do? He listens and goes, oh, that must have been hard. <laughs> what doesn't he do? 
well, why don't you try to do this and this and this? <laughs> Blew it. She stops talking, picks up. It used to be in the old days, she'd pick up a book. Now she picks up her phone and she looks at her phone and you're toast and, you know, go back under your rock. So we talked about that because that's what husband's supposed to do. Listen to wives. Right? What do men want? Men want to be respected. This is why women have a Yetzirah not to give men respect. Seriously, because that's going to be a woman's Yetzirah in her marriage. What do women want? Commitment. What's the man's Yetzirah going to be in his marriage? To be, you know, to, he's, it's not that he's not committed, but the woman might interpret the fact that he really does want to go to that for bringing more than stay home as if he's not committed to the family. It's not true. He is committed, but he wants to be that for pregnant. And the woman just doesn't understand because there was a women's for pregnant the other night before and she didn't go because she's committed to what's going on around here because that's how women are committed. That's just not how men are committed. So women want that commitment from men. Okay, but that's not your problem. I mean, it is your problem. He's your problem. Mm -hmm. But your problem is that you have to make sure that you give him what he wants and what he wants is that he thinks that you respect him. And you should. Does he always deserve respect? Well, you don't always deserve commitment. So how do men experience respect? That it's clear that you think that he's, that he can do what it is that has to be done in a, in a, in a successful way without you telling him. Because he really doesn't like to be told how to do something that's his responsibility. If you want him to do it, so get out of the way. Don't, when he goes shopping, don't tell him the thing he didn't buy, right? I mean, no one likes that, right? You, don't, you, you wouldn't like it if every time you came back shopping, he'd say, why aren't there avocados? There weren't any. Well, why don't you go to another store? Oh, gee, nice guy, right? Well, women do that to men all the time. I mean, you all are nodding, right? Because you can imagine, right? That's, women do that to men. They do that all the time. As if he couldn't figure out how to shop without you, right? Like, of course he can. Now he's probably not going to do as good a job as you well, because you're running the house and he's not. And there's things he doesn't know that are missing. Well, because he doesn't cook dinner, maybe. I mean, maybe he does. So then he'll know that you need more cooking paper, baking paper, whatever it's called. Fine. <laughs> See, I'm not the one cooking it. That's why, that's why our children live through all of their years in our, in our house, because I'm not the one doing the cooking. Right? So they all, they all left healthy human beings. But, 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 you know, the baking paper. So he, how did, he knows you're out of baking. How is he supposed to know you're out of baking paper? He does, in all fairness, he doesn't open the drawer and notice, oh, the last piece just came out of the baking paper thing. What did, what did I do today? I didn't do it. I mean, I, I facilitated it. I, I gave my, our daughter-in-law my credit card and said, she, they, they, they were talking about buying in Costco. They wanted to get some stuff in Costco, but they didn't go. They were going to, you know, whatever you do, you order it online. I don't know how it works. So I said, okay. So I remember my father used to do this when he came to visit us in Eretz Israel. He would take, he would take us shopping. And he'd take, he would take a shopping cart, 
behind our shopping cart. And whatever we put in our shopping cart, he would put in his shopping cart and he would buy us two of everything we needed, which was nice. We were a struggling young couple and that made a difference, it made a difference. We'd buy, you know, we bought two things of cornflakes, he put two in his, and then he'd have, <laughs> and then he would pay for both. So I'm not in the financial situation that my father was when he was my age. He was a doctor in North America, Canada, not, not America, but okay. But uh, so I just gave her the credit card and I said, buy what you need in Costco because I'm such a sport. So um, then we were on Zoom, not Zoom, uh, WhatsApp with, 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 uh, with my wife. And so I asked her, well, what do you need? So what did you need? Kirkland baking paper on the roll. She loves it, Kirkland. So I got two things of baking paper on the roll. <laughs> I'm committed. <laughs> Maybe I'm committable, I'm not sure. Committed, Baruch Hashem. And of course, maple syrup, but I didn't have to be told about the maple syrup. <laughs> that I got all by myself. I said, other than maple syrup, what do we need in Costco? The only thing she said was the baking paper on the roll. So we got the baking paper on the roll. Now I have to figure out how to put it in my suitcase, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> I have a second one. It's okay. So we'll figure it out. But it, 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 he doesn't want to be told that what he did wasn't a good job. It might not, meaning that doesn't, now obviously, that doesn't mean there's no such thing as constructive criticism. But it can become a, something that happens all the time. And so, meaning I don't trust that you can do the job. Now, no one would like that. And especially men. Men really don't like that. It really, because what are they told their whole life? They're responsible to do the job. And now here they are, their favorite person in the whole world is telling them they don't have faith in them to do it. That hurts. That's why men like respect. Is it coming from a, uh, from a place in our Nefesh Bahamas? Okay, but say it, I don't understand. What do you think you're marrying? <laughs> marrying a Nefesh Elokis? Say good. But there's also a Nefesh Bahamas and a goof there. And in all fairness, that's the person that, that's the conscious person that you're dealing with moment by moment, just like that's the conscious person in you that he's dealing with moment by moment, right? So men like respect. And women like commitment. So the man has to figure out how to make sure that he's, you know, what's the, you know, it's like sending that out. And it's obvious that he's committed, hopefully. Wow, I'm impressed. What, it's, it's dying, so you're charging it? Okay. Fine. What's the Abishta like? He likes us. But um, he gets, uh, you know, he, 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 he wants us to, to, to make for him a dear and he's waiting for us to do that. Sometimes we feel that he doesn't really want it to happen because there's, it, like, if he really did, so why isn't it happened already? I mean, met, you know, I mean, what exactly is he waiting for? Okay, good question. 
that doesn't mean there's going to be an answer to the question. So, I mean, we just have to give Eiter, right? And we can't possibly decide, okay, well, we're quitting because uh, obviously it's not true. He doesn't really want to do it with He does. He wants to do it with He wants us to do it. And evidently, we haven't done it. Last night when I was speaking, so I, I told the, I, I mentioned that the last time I was uh, in Crown Heights, so I had the, the pleasure and, and merit of uh, something that was always the single, I mean, certainly one of, if not the most pleasant part of a visit to Crown Heights was to sit with Rabbi Groner. And now, unfortunately, I have to say all of a sholem sit with Rabbi Groner for uh, sometimes five minutes, sometimes half an hour, 40 minutes, and just say hello. Sometimes it was just hello, because he was busy. Sometimes he would sit and talk. And Interesting, I think it's important that you should know that uh, the first question he would ask as soon as I came in, first of all, it's always an incredibly warm, beautiful, siddish smile. And uh, he would always ask, how's the family? And then the second question for the last 15 years has been, what's with the Medalach? He pushed and pushed and pushed that I should teach women constantly. He was never satisfied with the, with the amount of classes I was giving to women. He knew that my main, you know, main of uh, the main shlichus is in my note. That's, that's you know, what I do every day, most of the day, but, but he always asked constantly, what's with the Medalach? How much are you teaching women? And rarely could I get an answer to, you know, okay, that sounds like enough. I never say that, ever. I mean, he never did. But um, Mayanot had, a, a, we mentioned earlier, the Mayanot had a dinner last year, two, two years ago you know, a year and a half ago, before COVID, um, BC, before COVID, right? So, um, um, had a, uh, we had a dinner, and, and there was a friend there, so, so when I was visiting Rabbi Gunner, he told three stories. So last night, I happened to tell two of them. So I, I came down from talking, and, and, and uh, there were like a bunch of bochrims sitting, and I sat down just because there was a chair there, a bench. And they said, no, Rabbi, what's the, what's the third story? Because I, I said there were three stories, but I only told two of them. What's the third story? So the third story was that um, in Tafshin Lun base, the Rebbe had problems with his eyes. And so they brought an ophthalmologist to the Rebbe's office, and he checked out the Rebbe and, and uh, said that I can't do a proper examination here because I just don't have the things I need. And the Rebbe has to come to my office if he wants a, you know, if you want the Rebbe to have a proper examination. So Rabbi Groner didn't really think that was going to happen. So the doctor said, I, I will we'll do it at a time. We can do it 9, 10 o'clock at night. There'll be no one in the building, no one in the office, just you, the Rebbe, and me, the ophthalmologist said to Rabbi Groner. So Rabbi Groner went into the Rebbe and asked, you know, this is what he said. Um, what should we do? So the Rebbe said, fine, they'll go. So they went. Went at one night, about nine or 10 o'clock at night, Rabbi Groner drove the Rebbe to this gentleman's office and, uh, and he put the Rebbe in that, you know, those chairs that the ophthalmologists have with all those things above. 
And, uh, and he gave the Rebbe the drops that you put, that ophthalmologists put in your eyes to dilate your pupil because they want to see through, right? They want to see to the back of your eye, right? But have you ever noticed when bright light hits your eye, your pupil is mitsam same, so there's just the right amount of light to allow you to see realities, tsimtsum, right? So what your pupil does to light, because if there's too much light, you wouldn't see anything. So the light has to be mitsum sum that allows you to see just right, just how much, okay. It's not like tsimtsum should be hard to understand. It's what <laughs> goes on in our eye every all day long, right? Okay, so so what they dilate the pupil and then they can look through. It must really be interesting what they see, I must admit, right? They, they, so they shine that light, which hurts a little if you've ever done it, right? They shine the light through and they look and see what's going on with your retina and everything in the back of your eye, cornea, retina, all that other stuff that you learned about in school once. Okay, you forgot with your trigonometry. So, so... Um, <laughs> So, so he gave the drops to the rabbit. Now the drops take five minutes to work. So he asked Rabbi Groner, while the drops begin to work on the Rebbe's eyes, could I ask the Rebbe a question? And the Rebbe answered, yes. So he asked the following question, which is a really interesting question. Can you imagine? You have a, the Rebbe just said, you can ask me any question you want, right? Now what? We'd all be like struck dumb because we'd think of 5,000 questions and couldn't get one out of our mouths. So, so, so he said, this doctor said to the Rebbe, from, not from, I'm not sure. Um, he said, I assume he referred to the Rebbe as you, I would assume, not knowing that you don't do that. Um, your Hasidim have done so many amazing things, etc. And he sort of, you know, embellished that a little bit. How could it possibly be that Mashiach hasn't come yet? That was his question. Rabbi Gunnar told me that was his question. So the Rebbe said, hmm? Nun base, right? Tavshin Nun base, no winter. There wasn't anything else. It was only a winter. So um, the Rebbe said, that's a question I ask myself often. And perhaps the answer is that Mashiach has a very large basket full of the good deeds that Jews do. The basket's filled, getting filled up with all of those good deeds. But it must be that there's room for a few more good deeds in the basket. And so we have to keep filling up the basket with good deeds. And when the basket's full, so then Mashiach can come. That's what the Rebbe said. Then the Rebbe added, and that's why I don't let my Hasidim sleep. There's some good deeds that we have to do. We want to fill up the basket. And evidently the basket's not full, because if the basket were full, we would not be sitting here. This house would, well, maybe we would, but this house would be in Yerushalayim somewhere. I don't think this house is going to be in the Galil. I think the Rabashkins will get us the choice spot right in the original line. I think that's what they deserve. As close to the base of Mikdash as anybody else. Right? Okay. Right? That's what the Rebbe said. And he doesn't let us sleep. Eh, certainly something to that. Doesn't seem to be satisfied with what we do, right? And not in a negative way, in a positive way. Satisfied meaning that's enough. Not satisfied 
simcha. No, it can be besimcha, you know, happy that we're doing what we're doing, but not satisfied to the extent that when you're satisfied, what do you say? That's enough. No, never satisfied. Never told us never to be satisfied with our own base. Everybody in Shoshanat Yerushalayim learns the Mimer. Hmm? Yeah. Um, thinking about what you said about what women like in marriage, or especially what men um, like they need in a, in a marriage, which is that respect. Um, if, if the Jewish people are Hashem's wife, and the Gulish Shlema, that's who we manifest, right? And the Rebbe said we should start like, living on that. Would it make sense to relate to Hashem as a husband and to apply what maybe a man likes or needs to Hashem? And I'm thinking, would it make sense to apply that to kind of like the Tzachan? Like instead of um, saying, like, oh, I need to know how it's going to look or I need to control how you're doing it. Wow. Kind of That's really like, interesting. Hey, like, you know That's really an amazing idea, no? That's an amazing idea. Hmm? That's an amazing idea. Meaning, Davis knows how to shop. <laughs> no, that's really an amazing idea. I never, I never thought of anything. I, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, everything's connected to Gula because that's what we're trying to do. I don't think it's necessarily connected to Zmane Gula. But you know, if you told this to a Jew 500 years ago, he could also hear it and say, whoa. But especially now. Wow, that's really an amazing idea. And then my question, how does that come together? So wait, but hold on. What's it? So you're so good at that part. What's the commitment part? Because that's us to him. Right? No, but that we, wait, we're the woman. So we want him to be committed. Right? Yeah, it's like, you know. Showing up for us. He's listening to us all the time. Right. I guess, yeah. I mean, really, he does, right? But meaning the man really, in, in the, the perfect husband, he is committed. But that doesn't mean his wife is not going to think that he's not, right? Okay, so so the Abishter is committed, but we want him to show it more, right? Like, don't kill us. Well, I mean, he's done that to us in the past, right? I mean, no, I mean, you know, those things are very, very, I mean, I mean, he's big, you know, it's not, we're not talking about taking out the garbage. We're talking about real life and like, you know, real life issues. Wow, that's really interesting. I think about that one. It's a really interesting idea. And then, and then my question is, sure, how does that help? Why don't you ask yourself the question? Because you're saying better stuff than me. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. how does that come together with the adding more good deeds together with that, like, trust that Hashem is taking care of it? Like, how does it all work together? Well, look, we do. Uh, it, there's no question that we, Bitochen is a key to Geula to the extent that we have to have Bitochen that the Abish will bring the Mashiach, right? Bring Geula. I mean, I, I think that's something that most of us find hard to have, right? I know there's this thing called Mashiach. I get it. Unless, you know, if you, if you leave the Rebbe Sichas from then Aleph and then Beis, then you can maintain a certain appreciation of the immediacy of it all. Without those sikhs, it's almost impossible. You know, I mean, I learned those sikhs, but, but you know, still you come across a sikh and, and just, 
it like opens you up to a whole new appreciation of what the Rebbe says and what it means that Mashiach is coming. And it's not, of course, Mashiach's coming, but you know, past the chips. The immediacy of it all, and how we're, we really are there. And the, in Nun Aleph Nun Beis, the Rebbe took all of us to a place, all of, you know, what was very common in Lubavitch, anybody who was serious about things and cared about things and was for bringing about things and coughing and things. And so the idea of Mashiach not coming didn't make sense. It really didn't. It just didn't make sense. How can it possibly be that Mashiach hasn't come? Pesach would end. Now, in Eretz he had an advantage. Pesach would end, you'd finish Sudas Mashiach. But then, what would seriously, what would we say? Sudas Mashiach by the Rebbe is tomorrow. We always had that fallback position. And it's true, Sudas Mashiach by the Rebbe is tomorrow, not even in seven hours. It's a day in seven hours, because in Eretz Yisrael, Sudas Mashiach is on Shvi Shal Pesach, because there is no Achran Shal Pesach. So it's a day and a half later that the Rebbe is going to be sitting in Sudas Mashiach. So, okay, you know what? That also happened in Nunalov. Didn't happen in base, but it happened in Memtes, it happened in Nun, it happened in Nunalov. So Rebbe took us to a place where the idea of Mashiach not coming literally did not make sense. It's like, it's like it just can't be. Now, interesting enough, the Rebbe said, it's up to us. Then the Rebbe took us to an incredible place. And we thought he was going to do it all because he's doing it all. He took us to that place. There's no question. It's not like we did anything. All he had to do was listen. He said this. Sit there, watch, listen, see what was going on. It's like, you know, to not be sensitive to Lukus and Yom Kippur, you have to be pretty insensitive, right? To not feel anything on Yom Kippur, like you have to, you know, if you have a Yom Kippur go by, you don't feel anything, you go, whoa, where am I holding in life? I mean, like, what's going on here? Right? Okay, so that's, that's that's what it was like then. Meaning, if you didn't, if you weren't kaching in Mashiach and real, and and you, 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 then you would just weren't part of what was going on. Okay, Beseder, there was a you know a, an interval in between, obviously, of 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 a strange time in Nun Beis Nun Gimel. But then Gimel Tammuz, the Rebbe told us it's up to us. Gimel Tammuz certainly makes it obviously up to us. Whoever's not giving us that, in terms of our immediate, our, our, our revealed connection, the Rebbe's not giving us that push to stay so connected to the idea of Mashiach that the fact that Mashiach hasn't come is more difficult to understand than the fact that Mashiach can come. I think most people today would say they probably are, you know, they're afraid is to convince themselves the fact that Mashiach can come, not that they're so surprised that he hasn't. Why? Well, because we haven't done the Aveda yet, I guess, if that's where I'm holding. 
Because what's the avoidance? Well, to get to the place where the Rebbe took us without the Rebbe taking me there, because it has to be Ladaitka, it has to be that you've internalized it. So it's who you are, not simply because the Rebbe is taking you there. That's the avoidance. Um, that Mashiach is that immediate. Mm -hmm. Could you clarify that you get a mistake? Like, how the hell is that practically works in the like, like, how do you practically carry out like that? Is it between your intuition? Is it just like, it's that, it's that, that you, like, everyone's talent is different. Even if you're like, how do you figure out, like, hey, like, well, we've been talking about Ladaitra in terms of internalizing your relationship to the Avishta, that it becomes something, it becomes yours. It's very much who you are consciously, and and, and it's 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 you, you develop a certain intuitive appreciation of what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants in terms of the moment. Uh, so that will, I mean, everybody, everybody lives that in a different way because they have different circumstances in their life, right? But Ladaitcha is that the Ebeshtah becomes a real part of my life. That's Ladaitcha. That's what we've been talking about. It's interesting, the Rebbe says, I, I, I wanted to make sure that I said this because I, I it sort of it passed it by and I took a forgotten. I'm glad you asked about Ladaitcha. The Rebbe says in Memtes an amazing thing. Whose Ladaitcha is it in, in, the, in the Torah? No, Meishas. Shlach lecha, Meisha, ledaitcha. So the Rebbe says an amazing thing. That since it's Meishas ledaitcha, and Meishas and Ishemis, so then by definition, what Meisha does based on the ledaitcha of Meisha will be successful. So the Meraglim was ultimately successful, even though there were aspects of it that obviously weren't. But it, it, it aroused in the Jewish people a greater desire to go to Eretz Yisrael, the whole story, even though in a backhanded way. We see that from the Mapilim, who went right away afterwards. And that ultimately, if it's the Ladait of Mesha, then by definition, it's serious. It, it's, it's successful, I'm sorry. And that's very important for you and I. Because what's, so to speak, the Ladait of the Rebbe? Shia. Now, obviously, it's the Abish's Indian, but it, the Rebbe is the one that's, you know, brought that down into Elamaza in such an incredibly real and, 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 and intense way. The Rebbe is going to be successful. There's no way that the Rebbe is not going to be successful. It's not happening. Now, we have to do it. We have to, we're the facilitators of that, but the Rebbe is Ladaitcha, which is Mashiach. I mean, it's interesting, Rav Amar, I don't know whether you were at the, the Siyam Rambam last night. So when Rav Amar spoke, the chief rabbi, former chief Svardi rabbi of Israel, very, very special Jew, who learned in Lamavaj. So um, he, he talked about the Rebbe and Mashiach, how the Rebbe made Mashiach real for a whole generation. Said, you know, the Mashiach was just like out there. And he said, the Rebbe made Mashiach something so much part of our everyday conversation, our everyday life. And what? Okay. So that it's going to be successful. What are the facts that in the in days, the Rebbe said about Mashiach, that he's far about Mashiach already, we have to open up our eyes. How 
other rabbis that are that, that very much that what we're talking that, that, that we, like, is it fair to say we still have to bring Mashiach? Or we say that well, we're, no. we're in this process and it's already started and we're just integrating it more and more? Well, in all fairness, I mean, you should really quote the Rebbe on that, right? No, the avoider is not to bring Mashiach. What's the avoider? To be Makabal Mashiach, which is your question. Now, we say bring, 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 but really that's not true, right? If we're honest with the Rebbe, it's to be Makabal. Right? The Rebbe said very, very clearly that the Iker Veda of the Shlichus today is Parsh Chai Surinun base, that the Iker of Shlichus today is to be Makabu Mashiach Sitkenu. And then the Rebbe said to the Shluchim, that means go back, accept Mashiach yourself in your house, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your state. Right? That that's the Iker Veda. Now, there's a Machlekas in Lubavitch, what that means, which is fine. That's perfectly reasonable. I don't understand why anybody would think this, you know, bring an end to the history of the world is going to happen. Oh, this should be, <laughs> it should be pretty easy. Oh, we'll figure this out, right? Okay, so there's a big machlai, because what does it be? What does it mean to be makabal p'nei Mashiach Some people say that means to be makabal the Lubavitcher Rebbe as Mashiach. Other pe- now, even the people who don't say that that's what that means relative to the outside, the vast majority of those people understand in terms of their own personal relationship with the Rebbe that they think the Lubavitcher Rebbe is Mashiach. Okay, but do I go tell other people that? Oh, so there's a Machlechus about that. Fine, that, that's a, reasonable that there should be a Machlechus about it, as long as everybody gets along. I mean, that's the problem in the Machlechus. Not that there's a Machlechus. That makes perfect sense. I understand Rav and Abayah didn't disagree. Of course they disagree. Could they eat at each other's table and, and be kind to each other? Yes. Problem isn't that we disagree. Of course, we disagree. I mean, why? What's the half of meaning that this is going to be so easy? You know, we're really honestly talking about the end of the history of the world. I mean, it's not like, like, let's figure out how to buy ice cream. So, okay, fine. So, but the Aveda is Kabbalah's name, and what? And the simplest, the simple lowest common denominator of that is that I have to accept personally. Meaning that there'll be a Veda outside of me, but there has to be the Aveda inside me before I can take it outside. Is that the, even though the Rebbe at certain points said the fact that you're having problems with the issue doesn't mean that everybody around you has to suffer, right? The Rebbe did say that about this particular Indian, but it's still, we, 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 we have to internalize it so that we are people who have been Makabal Mashiach. What does that mean? I, I mean, it, you know, what does that mean? I, I, don't, I don't understand how, how as an individual, I can be makabal p'nei Mashiach Tzidkenu without understanding that the Rebbe is Mashiach. But if there's someone who doesn't think the Rebbe is Mashiach, and, and so they have to figure out that Aveda. Fine, I have no, I'm sure there's incredibly wonderful people who could explain that to you. I can't, because I don't relate to the Aveda that way. I think personally I relate to that Aveda as me accepting the fact that the Rebbe is Melech Mashiach. Not because it's a nice thing to put on a sign or song to sing, but meaning then I have the problem of the, the overhanging tree in my head, right? Okay, it's nice, but but no, there's no but. That's reality. Whoa. Okay. 
And not on a not on, maybe yes on my bumper sticker, but that's still not where it has to be. It has to be anoid mil, the anoid milvadi of me. Okay. And that everything we do is trying to bring about the revelation of that in ourselves, but more in the world at large. How much do you have to get other people to accept that idea in order for it to happen? That is an interesting question. I don't, I don't know. The, I, I don't pretend to have a monopoly on the answer. My son, with his big, huge Yechi Yamaka, uh, learned in Sfas for three years. He's, you know, he can check off all the right boxes for a Tzfati. Whoa. Tzfati. That means he probably can't talk without drooling or something. Right? Okay. So, so, um, so he, um, he was on Shlichus in Australia for six months. And for some of that time, they were in Tasmania. And for some of that time, they were working in Dudu Leaders Chabad House in, in Melbourne. And Dudu, at that point, had so many Israelis that he actually had a yeshiva running every day in the Chabad House in Melbourne. Yeah, one, what? one, one sec, I just want, um, you're, okay. I thought you were asking a question. So, so he and I were, he and I were for bringing, he and I were for bringing on the telephone. And, uh, and you know, this is a key. He grew up in Yerushalayim, which is, you know, pretty Hasidically challenged. And, and, but then he went to yeshiva in Lud and in Sfas. And Lud in those days was pretty stark, a place of, you know, Mashiach. And uh, then he learned in Sfas. Then he came to 770. And then he went to Australia. Now, Australia is somewhat different than Sfas. <laughs> right? So, so he, we're talking on the phone, he said, It takes so long to even imagine talking about Mashiach with people that you meet here. Because there's so many places you have to get to first before they'll in any way, shape, or form understand that idea in a sophisticated way. You said what we were talking about earlier, you know, a better world? Okay, everybody's into a better world. Fine. That, that part of Mashiach, well, that's fine. That's the Messiah. Okay, but I mean, Mashiach, it was so interesting. I Meaning he's a thinking kid and he realized you can't do what you do in Eretz Israel here in Australia. I remember once going on, uh, we, we were, we were uh, it was Sukkot. Eretz Israel is just so different. It was Sukkot. And uh, we were driving out to our, to our uh, my wife's brother lives in a yeshuv on the like Petach Tikva side of, Yehuda v'Shomron, Shomron, the north of Yerushalayim. So there's the sort of Tel Aviv Petatikva side, and there's the Yerushalayim side. Now, there are different different types of people in the in the Yishuvim. So uh, we were driving, and, and and there's roadblocks. You know, there's there's uh, soldiers at roadblocks. So we would always take a lulav and esrog, and at every roadblock we get out and and do mitzvahim with the soldiers at the roadblocks. So we're standing at a road, a big roadblock. We were like, you know, eight or ten soldiers. So we got out, and the kids and the, the kids used to love this. And they get out and they, you know, jump around and give <laughs> the Levinesrug to the soldiers. It's always a lot of fun. So, so we're we're doing Levinesrug with a bunch of the soldiers. All of a sudden, a car comes flying through, and he beeps and goes, like, "Good job." But I don't know 
it didn't look like he had taken lulav that day. I wasn't like I had ruach hakodesh, but it just like was he was saying, you know, yay, I like that. But he, it, so I went as he's flying by. I mean, there was a roadblock, so he had slowed down a little bit, and and he disappears. Two minutes later, he comes back. He turned around on the highway, came back, pulled his car up, and said, "Me too." Now he's Israeli, right? He reaches into his glove compartment, takes out a yarmulke and puts it on his head. Israelis, they're very Jewish Israelis. <laughs> no, they are, they're just Jewish, right? I mean, that's why they're obnoxious, right? So, so American Jews aren't very Jewish. They're just like people in Nebraska who are very friendly. So, so, um, uh, he, so, so I was holding a yarmulke in my hand that I was giving to people. The yarmulke had a statement on the yarmulke. It had a little, it's not a verse in the Torah. No, whatever, <laughs> right? Okay. So, so this guy, who was so interesting, I'm just explaining you know, what Israel is all about. It's so interesting. I was blown away. This guy, he's got a yarmulke on. And he takes the, he, he's about to reach out to the lulav and he sees in my hand a yechi yarmulke. He takes off his yarmulke, <laughs> takes the yechi yarmulke, puts it on his head, and he says, <laughs> This is what I remember from India. He just wanted his yechi yarmulke. So now in Australia, that's just not happening, right? I mean, it's a completely different Aveda talking, talking to an Israeli. It, whether it was right or wrong at the beginning is really an interesting question, and I'm not going there. It doesn't matter. Meaning, it did then, 25 years ago, when people, right after Gimel Talmud, when people started putting pictures of the Rebbe on every highway in Israel with the word Mashiach underneath, it might not have been Ba'ifanimus Kabul. It might be that people didn't understand it then. Now, since that's happened for 25 years in Eretz Israel, everybody in Eretz Israel relates Lubavitcher Rebbe and Mashiach are synonymous. I'm not talking about the religious population, I'm talking about the non-religious population, the so-called non-religious population. The Rebbe Lubavitch and Mashiach are synonymous in Eretz Israel. On the newscast, when they talk about Rebbe, Mashiach, it's, you know, they're, they're synonymous. I mean, it worked. It might not have been the right thing to do at the beginning. I don't know. That's an interesting question. You have to talk about it. You have to think about it. Was it a miscabble? Maybe that's not what the Rebbe wants. That's a real question. 25 years later, it, it certainly was pale. Now, Australia, completely different. Completely different. So how do you talk about Mashiach in Australia? So here was this kid, he was in Sfas, and you know, going on with Soyim, and who knows what they were doing up there. I mean, I didn't ask. <laughs> right, so it was Mitzrayim, and you know, I don't know, they're probably you know putting Mashiach stickers on 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 the on the Kinneret, seeing if they'd stick. I don't know. <laughs> but, so so, and 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 now he's in Australia, and he's dealing with a completely different world. So how do you bring Mashiach to Australia? So that's really that you know. So that then that now there's real work. How do you do it, and how do you talk about it? And how do you make people understand it and appreciate it? You're going to talk to them in the Lubavitcher Rebbe Mashiach. They don't know what you're talking about. They have no clue what you're talking about. So here's this Tzfati, who's supposed to be a mindless moron, right? So 
it's not a mindless mind. He's saying, you know, I, you just can't do it here like you do in Eretz Israel. It just doesn't work. Okay, so what do you do? We are talking about it. Okay, so I, it's going to take, it's a much longer process. It's going to take a while to get someone into the whole idea of Yiddishkeit Pachlal and understand mitzvahs and understand you know, a little bit about Torah and what, which you're, which many of your average Australian do because they have a much better education than the North Americans in, in terms of Jewish things. But still, it's going to take a long time. Okay. So, I mean, we have time. I mean, we don't, but we do. We don't have any choice, right? So you do whatever you have to do. Depends who you're talking to. Depends who you're talking to. But we also have to talk to ourselves. Right now, we're learning questions and answers and Ramos Kukas love Mashiach and discusses identity of Mashiach and how to identify Mashiach. So I'm going to go translate this. Wait, hold on. This is what, 11 o'clock at night? You have that Chevrusa? Wait, what is it? It's Monday? Sunday? Where are we holding? Monday. Is it Monday? Oh, no. Oh, it's just a given. It's not like this happens every Monday. Sunday. Ah, but Gimel Thomas wiped it out, so now it's Monday. At 11 o'clock at night. Where are they? Ah, still also 11 o'clock at night. But their clocks freeze. Amazing. Do I know the person you're learning with in Toronto? Do I know the person you're learning with in Toronto? Okay. Okay. Amazing. Lud? You were our teacher who stuck it out to the end. All of our, we had a rotation of teachers. And I remember at the end you said that your Mashiach told you not to sing it out because you really appreciated our group. And you, but the, you must have been there the fourth year. What? You were there fourth year. In its yeah. death throes. Yes. My Mashpiel told me to quit. (laughs) (laughs) To take that up with him. Okay. Say them. I know Rabbi Groner didn't. What's with the Madalach? That almost made it, that sound. It was an amazing, it had amazing potential, but it just something happened. Okay, only good news in my regards to Toronto. <laughs> Very impressed, 11 o'clock at night. Shoot. Okay, questions, answers. Still people out there doing real things. Yeah. By Yaron Hillman, he adapted the work, he translated adapted the works of Rebolko, and it's like it builds up, it's like questions and answers around this book was welcome, it builds up very like logically to make the point of you know, really identifying Mashiach. You know, you know okay, amazing, enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> So we have work to do, but but I mean it's true that the avoid is not. I mean the Rebbe says it. 
the avoider is not bringing Mashiach per se, the avoider is doing the Kabbalah. Again, the Rebbe said that it's explicitly that there's an avoider that's over. We usually say bringing, okay, but uh, so that, but, but that the, the most basic understanding of that is that Mashiach's real in our lives. Because that is, I mean, Gimel Tamas especially. Identity, not identity. I mean, you, you can, you know, Gimel Tammuz. What's Gimel Tammuz? The Rebbe explains in Parshish Kedach, Tavshin Nun Aleph. Gimel Tammuz is the, what, at, when it happened, it's unclear what it is, and it's unclear whether it's good or bad. In this case, it's, you know, pretty, you know, I mean, it's obviously not something positive. But what is it ultimately? It ultimately becomes the beginning of the process of the Gaul of Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tammuz. The Rebbe says explicitly. But when it happened, when Gimel Tammuz happened in Tafresh Pei Zion, so the Hasidim didn't know whether this is good or bad. The Rebbe is going into exile. Who knows what it was going to be? Is this good that the Rebbe is going into exile? Or is this a disaster? They didn't know. Now, and the Rebbe points out, it's very interesting, it's in a footnote, the Rebbe points out that, that they... They also did not, if, if everybody knew that there had been a death sentence for Juan son passed against the Frida Karebi and that that had been commuted, so then everybody would have related to it, obviously, in a positive. But no one knew that. In Tafresh Pezai, no one knew that. The Frida Karebi told everybody that after, because he saw the paper. <laughs> That's a nice ring. <laughs> It's a very nice ring. <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt it. What? <laughs> so, what? So, what did Gimel Thomas end up being? The beginning of the Geul of Yud Beis and Yud Beis and Yud Gimel. So, we certainly have uh, fervent hope that that Yud that our Gimbal Tammuz is simply the beginning of the process of, of Geula. It's longer than nine days, obviously, but then the Geula is a, a rather larger scale Geula than, than the Geula of Yud Beis and Gimel, as amazing and important as that was, but it was still obviously not the ultimate Geula which is what we're waiting for. And Gimbal Tammuz has its place in that. Right? So there's the, the, there is obviously the, the, the pain of Gimbal Tammuz. We can't forget that because we want to see the Rebbe. But Gimel Tammuz is clearly part of a process. It's not chos v'sholim, the end of something. It's part of a process. Okay, whatever, why in the world does this have to be part of the process? Okay, but say that you're asking questions from the Ebishter and you're not necessarily going to get answers. So the question is just sort of a waste of time. Not sort of. Just a waste of time because we'll never get the answer. Maybe after Yud Beis Yud Gimel Tammuz in cosmic terms, which is the the ultimate revelation of Mashiach and the, the beginning of Gula Mitzvah Shleim in the most revealed way possible. So there's it's not it's not simply some conceptual idea that actually happens. So maybe we'll have answers to all these questions. Who knows? But that's not our issue now. Every one of us has to figure out what I can do to somehow push the envelope a little more. And to convince the Abishta that we really want this to happen. Right? We really want this to happen. And we do want it to happen. 
but there's also a tree in my head. Right? If you, you know, if you ask us honestly, of course we want Mashiach to come, and certainly the Babachers. I mean, we, we, certainly the Babachers. I mean, on the most basic, and and this is, uh, you know, this is it's very real for us. But in all fairness, it's not the reason we should want Mashiach, but it's still very, very real for us. We we just want to see the Rebbe. Now, you know, probably many of us understand that when we see the Rebbe again, he's not exactly going to be the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I mean, he will be, but he won't be. It's going to be a slightly different reality. We think we're going to be in the front row. <laughs> it's us guys, right? Remember us? I, I went to Lubavitch Sam, like me. <laughs> Remember me, Rebbe? I didn't go to Beis Yaakov and all that. I didn't, I didn't do that. It's me. We sung our Bababas in Yudtes Kislev when the rabbi left the room. You know, that was us. <laughs> we all, we're, we, I mean, what are we going to be doing? I remember talking about this once in Shoshana. What are we going to be doing? Rebbe's going to forbring. It's going to be the most amazing event in the history of the Jewish people. It's going to, I mean, it really will be, right? I mean, like, you know, it'll be the culmination of everything else that ever happened. We're going to be putting chairs for all the people in the back rows who just got here a little late. We're going to be getting them chairs and opening up their folding chairs and say, you know, sit, 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 sit. And if Rebengen's happening up there, we can barely hear. All the Obamages are going to be opening up chairs for everybody in the back. And who's going to be sitting in the front? Who knows? I mean, you know, be a couple of people sitting in the front thinking they should be in the front. Right? But come him, you would be. Also Jewish. People in the front. We'll be setting up the, you know, Okay. That, that, that this, who knows what will happen with the sound system so some Lubavitcher you know, Anderson Hackney is going to run over there and start <laughs> making sure that the, that the sound system works right. we'll have what to do we'll definitely have what to do but it's going to be different it's going to be different it's going to be better but it is going to be different meaning there, there are certain things that we're, we're, we're going to have to we, we have to be ready to give up things Shift, right? Certain things that you've you know, that you've thought about and what you want to do and what you might want to accomplish and what you know where you're going and I mean, who says that that's going to have any relevance whatsoever once Shiikh ultimately is revealed and the and the process ends? So, am I willing to give that up? Okay, I have to give that up. Part of me bringing Shiikh is being willing to give that up. That, Oh, hundred percent. That might be easy once Mashiach comes, right. but since it's a part of my, it's my tree in my head right now, so then it might be hard for me to give that up. It might be something really small and insignificant. It might just be that, whoa, everything's going to change. Am I ready for that? I mean, am I, do I have the energy to deal with that right now? Well, find the energy, because why should the Jewish people wait just because I'm tired? The whole world. Why should the whole world? Why should some kid in Rwanda who doesn't have enough 
to eat. Why should he be hungry? Because I can't get it together to bring Mashiach. Because when Mashiach comes, he's going to have enough to eat. He won't be hungry anymore. So that'll be good for him too. So hopefully I care about him. God created him too. No reason for that little guy to be hungry. But it's something we, we how, I, who, you know, it, I think we're beyond the how, right? Because none of us know the answer to that question because it's been such a, a, I mean, we're still here. Things what? Things change. Ooh, things have changed a tremendous amount. Absolutely. I mean, we're closer than we've ever been. 100%. Even though sometimes it, it, the, the episode makes things happen and it seems like we're farther away. Okay. When Corona broke out, oh, everybody had, oh, we were, everybody had their drushes about Corona and its crown and it's going to teach the whole world that the Abraham is in charge and it's fantastic and amazing and incredible. Were we successful at getting the message that the Abraham runs the world out based on the fact that this bizarre thing called Corona happened? I don't see it. We had a golden opportunity. I don't see that. I mean, look, to get it to CNN, okay, so that's already, you know, that's irrelevantly flourish. But but just get, you know, to get out in the, the, the base, to get the basic worldview of the fact that obviously someone greater than us runs the world because he can stop the world dead in its tracks in, in, in three days. I don't think that message got out there. I think the people who thought that when it happened still think that. And the people who didn't think that when it happened still don't think that. But you and I thought that. I mean, I, I think most religious Jews went, oh, wow, this is like really wild. Look at the Abraham. That's what everybody was talking about. Okay, and I'd imagine your average religious person in Nebraska was saying the same thing, right? Arkansas, Nebraska. What about the godless hordes in New York, California? What about those godless hordes who make a lot of noise? Did any of them figure this out? Not in the least. Probably a few. Oh, that was for sure. But I mean, I, I mean, you know, did the mess? Anybody who said that message would be considered silly and you know just ridiculed. Okay, so. Some, I'm sure there were individuals, I'm sure there were Lubavitchers all over America in Chabad, all over the world in Chabad houses explaining this to individuals or to small groups. I'm not saying that what, you know, this isn't, you know, oh, that we're terrible, we're horrible, and we blew it. It's just, there was this interesting opportunity. How to take advantage of it? I don't know. I mean, it would, it would have been very, very hard because you would have incredible opposition from the powers that be. Because now, in all fairness, it looks like it was orchestrated by the powers that be. <laughs> that seems to be what happened. Whoa. Anything to get rid of the orange man. Right. Seems to be what was going on. Okay. That being said, we still had an opportunity. Because they, you know, God was still part of it. 
I mean, it's the, all of it, but anyway. Okay, ladies. What's a word <laughs> There used to be a president of the United States who had orange hair and, and he, 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 he was a very polarizing figure. Um, people either absolutely loved the guy or they absolutely hated the guy. And um, so, you know, the hate side won. <laughs> yeah, right, wrong, and they won. Because he's not president anymore. They really didn't like him. He was good theater, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, not living in America, watching America was, it was just, this was the, just the best entertainment imaginable. <laughs> watching what was going on over here it's just like flesh it incredible the place was just bubbling away but uh anyway he certainly he, whatever he did he got the cat out of the bag that's for sure he, like opened up all sorts of pandora's boxes where people stopped pretending you know like we're, we're even-handed and we believe in fairness no he pulled, he, you know, to his great credit, he said, no, you don't. And it's obvious they don't. Okay. Which is interesting that he pulled that off. <laughs> I mean, everything he did was just budget amazing. How did, he, how did he become president? It was just absolutely <laughs> absurd. No, the whole thing is just, it's such an incredible, you know, you can hate him, you can like, but the whole story is just an, 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 it's an absolutely amazing story that this guy, Who's just this complete wacko? <laughs> no, but 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 not that he doesn't get things done. He gets things done, right? He got a lot done, but he's a wacko. His personality is wacko, and he, and he ends up saying, "I want to be president of the United States," and he does it against all odds. I mean, what? what how did that happen? He didn't think he was going to be president. I mean, he looked so surprised that day he was walking down to make his victory speech. Like, I don't have a speech. Like, why would I have a speech? I'm not supposed to win. But he did it. It's just like unbelievable. I mean, it definitely teaches us a lot about the ability to accomplish things that seem outrageous if you just <laughs> want to do it and it's right. And, and you know, it, it, there's he definitely taught a lot of people that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you could. I, I personally, I, you know, I, was, I really did like the guy. I mean, I think he's a wacko, but I, 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 I just, <laughs> I, 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 I just found the the. I found it so refreshing that someone just wouldn't play the game because it's all the game. And he didn't play the game. And it drove the, it drove the Republicans as crazy as the Democrats. It drove them all crazy because they they're, all, they're all doing very well in this game. I mean, the guys who are playing the game over there, they're doing very well. They all have their big houses and they're doing just fine. Okay, you guys win, we, guys, we don't really care because it's a bunch of people who couldn't care less, but we're doing great. This guy comes and just throws the apple cart upside down, right side up and, and, and freaks everybody out. And it was refreshing, I must say that. I just found him so refreshing. I mean, wacko, but just so refreshing. And you know, I mean, that's at the end of my Twitter account, huh? <laughs> it's all right, I don't have one. I can't be banned from any of these things because I don't have any. So, you know. anyway. Whatever. He's also part of the whole thing. Somehow we can learn from him. Amazing. Amazing.
you can accomplish a lot if you set your mind to it and you, and you, you know, you, 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 you want to make things happen. And as president, he also accomplished a lot. You can, you can like what he accomplished or not like what he accomplished, but he accomplished a tremendous amount because he said this has to get done and he just he did it. Amazing. A politician who made all sorts of promises before he was president and kept them all. That's just astounding. Whoever heard of such a thing? <laughs> it's just astounding. And they couldn't handle it. Like they just couldn't handle it. And that, that's what I found so, I mean, I, it, you know, I was on the, his team, not the other team, but I, they, they just, they couldn't handle it. They won by hook or by crook, they won. Okay, he's gone, playing golf. <laughs> right? I was talking about it today with two former schlucking of my note. You know, standing on a corner further out of the neighborhood. Right? His effect on black America. Tens of thousands of new black of black businesses in America because of the racist president. Tens of thousands. If he had had another four years, what effect would he have had on black America? Forget about everybody else. Black America, what effect would he have had? Could have been a very, very serious and positive effect. Somehow he was didn't let him do that. I don't know why. I don't get it. Forget about everybody else. Black America would have really prospered because of him. Because he was taking it seriously. We all know no one else could care less. The hard to figure out. <laughs> hard to figure out. Okay, same. I mean, now, now you know, and, and it's not in Eretz Israel. It's more than just politics, right? In Eretz Israel, it's lives of Jews, and. Uh, you know, we have a new government in Eretz Israel. Someone said to me yesterday in, in uh, someone said to me yesterday in, in 770, so how could it possibly be that this government is sworn into, into power in Eretz Israel on Gimel Tambus? Right? So then he said, ah, because it's going to fall apart on your base, your Gimel Tambus. <laughs> so the whole thing is just, it's, oh, it's Gimel Tambus. You never know. What's Gimel Tambus? It looks pretty bad, though. I mean, they tell you, this doesn't like, It'll all become clear in nine days. The whole thing. Who knows? Who knows? But we, we, you know, we, all these things are are they're not they're not unimportant, right? I mean, there was a big. It's very interesting because they made an announcement. Um, I guess it was Lel Shabbos. It must have been Friday night. They made a big announcement in seven seventy about you know the Rebbe wanting people to vote. There's a, you know I guess there's some election around here. It's, uh, it's like mayor and all that, right? That's happening evidently fairly soon in New York. And, and so someone stood on the bima and made a, a very large announcement in the name of the Rabbonim and in the name of the, the Vadakal that, that uh, people should vote. They have to vote. The Rebbe wants people to vote. And they mentioned who they should vote for for council. They didn't talk about mayor. They talked about a particular councilman who's very pro-us and the one he's running against is a big anti-Semit. So that, they said that, that's very, very clear. Okay, so the Rebbe definitely wants us to be part of that, but I mean, as much as we're part of that, hopefully we don't spend too much uh, of our intellectual energy and emotional energy in it because there's other things that we have to do. And every single one of us has to figure out what can I do to somehow hasten the end of Golis. And um, we are able to do that, which I think is one of the hard things for us to really understand. I'll tell you one quick story and then we're ending. A pleasure, a pleasure. 
Uh, I'll take one quick story, and then I'm going. I'm, I will. will uh, and I will thank Michal before I tell the story. Thank you very much for putting this together. It's it's incredibly heartwarming to sit with all these amazing people. Um, um, I heard a story that the beginning of of the COVID times in Eretz Israel, so there were Fabrengans every night, first on the phone, and then it turned into Zoom. It started on the phone. One night, Rabbi Vashansky, I, I, it's funny, because the guy who was putting it together asked me to Fabreng on the phone one night. So I said, well, I can't, I had a class on Zoom that night. So he said, I don't know, you don't have to talk then, just record three 15 minute things and I'll make the first said really that's what's happening <laughs> she said well no not every night sometimes the person's actually on the phone talking and sometimes it's just recording and then he would go thank you very much that's an amazing day and then he would say a few things and then they right so really that's what I was like shocked but anyway so I don't know whether Rabbi Vashansky was actually talking to us or he was recorded I don't know but he told <laughs> but he told an amazing story he told an amazing, it's funny because a friend of mine heard me for begging, but I, was, I wasn't, I didn't hear me for begging because I was doing something else when I was for begging on the phone, which is really, so he called me up and said, that was really interesting. I told one of the things, I don't know, it was three different things, 15 minutes, that's what he told me to do. So the middle one was, uh, whatever it was, some story. So someone called me up, amazing story. I said, oh, oh, what, it was on? I said, <laughs> like, what do you mean it was on? Like, weren't you there? I said, well, it's a long story. No, I, uh, I, you know, you, you you phoned in and you hear someone talking. What do you assume? That they're talking on the phone, right? That's what I assumed until I found out the inside. But um, so um, he, he told an amazing story and I'm going to leave you with this story, but it's a story that uh, that hopefully you will never leave and, and none of us will ever leave because it's very, very, it's very challenging. But it's also, I think, I hope you find it very uplifting. Um, Rabbi Voshansky, I assume he heard this from Rabbi Groner himself. Rabbi Yitzchak David Groner of Australia, excuse me, was in Yechidus by the Rebbe. And the Rebbe asked him to do something. And he said to the Rebbe, I don't think I can. Meaning, I, I don't think I'll be successful in doing that. Now, I, it's unclear to me whether he felt he couldn't or it can't get done. but. He said, I don't think I can do, meaning that the, the people who he has to do it with, well, but bottom line, he had to do it. He said, I don't think I can do that. I, I really don't think I, I, I'll be successful. And the Rebbe said, you're my shaliach. I'm with you and I can. Wow. You're my shaliach. I'm with you and I can. You might not be able to. I get it. I can. And I'm going to be there with you. What did Meshur Benu say to the Abishtah? I don't think I can do that. What did the Abishtah say to him? I can. And I'll be there. That's what he said with him. He said, I'm going to be with you. That's what the Abishtah said to Meshur Benu. I'm going to be with you. Oh, you're my shaliach, I'm with you, and I can. And if we live our lives with the understanding that we're the shluchim of the Rebbe and he's with us, we will be just fine. And we will bring Mashiach. And 
that's not always so easy, right? It's not always so easy to live life that way. It sounds easy and perfect when we're sitting in for bringing, but but in in the in the you know heat of the battle. But that's when we have to do it, is in the heat of the battle, when we're talking to our children, when we're dealing with our students, when we're dealing with our teachers, when we're dealing with our boss, when we're dealing with ourselves, when we do whatever, whatever we're doing. We have to realize that. Hold on a second. Who am I? I'm Chassid of the Rebbe. So what does that mean on a certain level? I'm a Shaliyach of the Rebbe. Because Shaliyach doesn't mean that you're on a computer base on Eastern Parkway. Shaliyach means that you're someone who sees you've been sent by a Kaddish Baruch to accomplish something and as a Chassid of the Rebbe so you understand that the Rebbe wants something from you, okay? And if you're doing that which the Rebbe wants from you then the Rebbe is with you. And whatever whatever the Rebbe wants to do, he can do. How he does it, I don't know. I don't think we understand these things. I lied. I'll tell you another story. <laughs> I didn't know. It wasn't that um, I heard that Rabbi, Rabbi Klein told this story. That there's a family in, in Williamsburg called the Schwartz family. They, they had an interesting job. When the Rebbe from Toldus Aaron in, in Yerushalayim, Meisharim, striped coats. When the Rebbe from Toldus Aaron used to want to, he's passed away. When the Rebbe from Toldus Aaron wanted to uh, be in contact with the Rebbe, he would be in contact with the Schwartz family and send a message to the Rebbe through them. And they would take that message to Rabbi Klein and Rabbi Klein would give it to the Rebbe. And if the Rebbe wanted to answer, so the Rebbe would give Rabbi Klein something to give to the Schwartzes, and the, and the Schwartz family would send it to the Rebbe from Toldazar. And that's how, and evidently he was extremely close to the Rebbe and was in contact with the Rebbe a lot, which is really interesting. So Rabbi Klein told this story in Fabrengen said that he was once in his office, his office is the one, as you walk into 770, right to the right, that was his office, the long, thin office. Rabbi Groner was all the way on the other side of the Rebbe's office. So, so he, uh, he, um, he was, he, Rabbi Klein was in the office, this is 10 years after Gimel Thomas. And he finds a letter from Mr. Schwartz stuck in some corner in the office. And it's, you know, from 10 years ago, the letter. So he can't believe it. He looks and he sees a letter from Mr. Schwartz. But no, he doesn't open it. Just, it's not, but he, so he calls up the family and says, you won't believe this, but I just, oh, he calls up and he asks for Mr. Schwartz or Rabbi Schwartz, whatever. And they say, um, he's not here. He's in the hospital. First, he said, they say, was this Rabbi Klein from Lubavitch? So he's not here, he's in the hospital. So he said, well, you won't believe this, but I just found a letter from the Rebbe for your husband from 10 years ago, but it was lost in the office. It was just in a crack and I just found it. So she said, oh my goodness, okay. So I think they used to just come get the letter. So they came to, they came to, to Rabbi Klein, they took the letter and they went home. And he's in the hospital, he just had a heart attack. He's fine, but he had a heart attack, so he was in the hospital. 
the letter from the Rebbe. That they phoned up Rabbi Klein and told him what happened. They opened up the, the letter. The Rebbe is giving a refuah shleimah to Mr. Schwartz, who had never been sick before. And the Rebbe put in the letter $7, one for each child. When the Rebbe wrote the letter, they had four or five children. When they got the letter, they had seven children. Ten years later, it got lost in the office. After Gimutamus, they got that letter with $7 bills for the seven children, which they did not have on the date the letter was sent, and a refuah shlamer for Mr. Schwartz, who was not sick when the letter was sent, but sure was when he got it. Figure that out. So next time you think you understand the Lubavitcher Rebbe, <laughs> we haven't got a clue. Rabbi Groner once said, I remember it was Shabbos Mavarchin Chaydish Tamus Tavshin Nun Hei. Rabbi Groner and his wife were in Vancouver. It's a year after Gimel Tamus. They're in Vancouver, and I was visiting my parents in Vancouver. And Friday night, the Shaliach had his biggest balabatim to his house with the Groners, and he asked me if I wanted to come. So, of course, I did. So, I sat next to Rabbi Groner, but on the side where his wife was with the ladies at the table, because I wanted to hear Mrs. Groner too, because she has a lot to say. She, she blew these ladies away. These are all Vancouver ladies. I haven't got a clue what Yiddish guy is. They're very nice people. They give a lot of stock out of it, but they're very Jewish, but they really don't understand Yiddish guy. And uh, Mrs. Groner with you know, walked out of Russia with her family when she was three. So, so uh, they asked her, how is life different after Gimel Tammuz? They didn't say Gimel Tammuz. So she said, well, I get to see my husband and we never ever would travel to Vancouver for Shabbos in the old, you know, before Gimel Tammuz. But now we can do that. So these women are thinking, wow, Gimel Thomas is the best day in this lady's life, right? Like she you know, gets to travel with her husband. And then Mrs. Groner said, oh, I'd give anything to see the Rebbe again. These women were just completely like, what, who is this Martian? Like, where, you know, who is this woman? What is, where is she coming from? But Rabbi Groner said something interesting. One of the businessmen, very, very successful businessman asked, um, you know, one of those questions, well, well, Rabbi, what was the Lubavitcher Rebbe really like? One of those questions. But that's what he said. What was the Lubavitcher Rebbe really like? So Rabbi Groner said an amazing thing. He started to cry when he said it. He said, I'll tell you. I was next to the Rebbe for many hours every day for over 40 years. Then he started to cry and he said, I never understood what was happening on the other side of those eyes. He said, I never understood it. All I knew what I was, was what I was told to do. So I did it, but I never understood what was really going on. Now, Rabbi Groner was right there. That's why he was a chosk. Because he realized he didn't understand. It could be that you're right there and you think, oh, I understand everything and I'm seeing it all and I'm really, you know, on the ins. 
understood that he understood less than anybody else because no one, no, you know, right. I mean, he was right there, so he could really see those eyes all the time. And he said, I never understood what's going on on the other side of those eyes. So we want to see our Rebbe again. If only for that, let's let's get it together and figure out what we have to do to bring the Shiach. Don't pretend to have any uh, Aitzas. I mean, we had one Aitzas at the beginning about uh, calling up a Jew to make them happy. But but every single one of us has to just think about it and really think about it and and make certain positive achlotas in in kamus eichus both, you know, quantity, quality, whatever. But but to definitely. Make sure, I, I won't say refocus, because I'm sure this is what you're all focused on, but you know, I'll say refocus just because I can talk to myself too, to refocus on what we're really here for. And that's what Gimel Thomas is all about, is to make sure that we're not, we're not living the tree, not living the branch that hit our head. We're connected to the Enoid Mulvadeh of it all. The branch is also part of Enoid Mulvadeh, but in the story, it's not. I don't know whether it's a story or not. I guess it's a muscle. I don't know. Whatever it is.